0: in downtown Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu.
1: Aloha Friday from the Sports Animals here for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here. Chris will be with us a little bit later. We've got some things to take care of. I will be joined by Tanner Hayworth for the first hour. We've got a lot to cover this uh, big weekend as football is here. Everybody in action in the NFL for this week's preseason games. We'll get into that a little bit more later. And a lot of UH football talk, and i got some information on tickets that I'll pass along in a second. Last night, there was the pigskin pig out, the first one in the manner that it's always been since the late 90s because of COVID the last few years, weren't able to have that. It was a great crowd, and I, I talked to somebody who was there and said when they showed up, they were told they were 275 as far as people showing up with tickets. It was a really good crowd last night, and we heard yesterday we had Dave Kawada on our show that they – had around 300 tickets sold. Had about 330 available, so they hope to reach that. Uh, it was good. The food was fantastic. I heard a lot of people raving about the food, and it's always really good food at the Pigskin Out. Chris Hart was uh, a co-auctioneer. They had two auctioneers, and I thought Chris did a great job. I'll ask his thoughts on that when he joins us next hour. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of people bidding for some great prizes, and uh, just always fun to talk UH football. But Timmy Chang, he said it was his first time being there which makes sense because the players don't go down there it's so always the coaching staff and uh, he has never been a coach at UH until this year I did try to get the starting quarterback out of him uh, he didn't give that up of course he said they're pretty certain who it'll be and just reiterating what we have heard is that they won't announce it till game day against Vanderbilt. and I'm going to practice tomorrow it's my first practice that I will be able to attend and I thought on the original list it said 5 45 p.m. if anybody's thinking about going to Tomorrow, it's a 4:30 start. And Timmy Chang said last night that was because they want to uh, have it at the exact same time as kickoff for Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt will start at 4.30, 15 days from now. Oh, that sounds so good. I remember when we were like 80 days out, 90. It does go by quickly once you get in the last month or so. And uh, I have definitely got football fever after last night. Again, a lot of fun. All the football coaches were there. I believe Charlie Wade was there. I know Bob Coulin was there and some others. But always a great time when we have the pigskin pig out. And, uh, again, a lot of people call it the official or unofficial start to the football season, and it really just gets you in the mood even more so to uh, have football back, full capacity limits, and that's what I want to get into to pass this along because people have been inquiring over the last few weeks about season tickets or single game tickets, when do they go on sale and all that. Well, according to Brian McGinnis from Spectrum News, he reported through UH that they have already surpassed 8,000 season tickets sold. So – 9,000 capacity, we know the students get 10%, so that would be 900. And I'm trying to do the math on how that matches. I'm not sure if the students are included in that because it also says in this article, according to David Matlin, the athletic director, they have about 800 tickets remaining per game. That is not a lot. And he went on to say, if we have tickets available, they will go on sale this Monday on an individual basis at 9 a.m. So for fans, that either couldn't or didn't want to get a season ticket, individual game tickets will go on sale Monday at 9 a.m., and there's not a lot there. I I know, Tanner, you and I have talked about it at times, and Chris as well, of course, that this stadium should sell out. I'd I'd be really surprised if it doesn't. Even if this team somehow struggles, I still can't imagine not having 9,000 fans after the last two years not being able to accomplish that. And okay, we'll, t- uh, we'll get Tanner's thoughts on that in just a second. But uh, that's something I think everybody should be aware of. Because I know people have been asking about individual game tickets. And it's not going to be a lot. It's going to be in high demand. So definitely don't wait till the week of the Vanderbilt game. If you look at the numbers and how they're selling, and now everybody's realizing it's that close, I imagine I would think those 800 tickets, let's say there are 800 tickets left on Monday and they do go on sale, I would, wouldn't be surprised if Tuesday morning those 800 tickets are already gone. Uh, they might not be able to be – They might not be any available tickets. So you don't want to be out of luck. It's been a great atmosphere there for the games we had last season. Students add a lot to that, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great atmosphere. We're, we're going to hear more as far as – I'm hearing rumors, but officially what will go on on game day. We know that they will have the food trucks like they had for Island Day. Uh, For this in April, we're not sure exactly what might or might not be going on in the Stant Sheriff Center. I've heard rumors about a concert and other activities, but nothing official as of yet. So we'll find out more, I'm sure, in the next week or two. Again, just two weeks away from that game, and we know they go into game mode on the Monday before, really on the uh, I guess would be the 21st of August. But even next week, you know, they're going to be game planning for Vanderbilt, and uh, they're a team that is favored. Still by about six and a half, seven points. I was in a sports book in Vegas earlier this week, saw it listed at six and a half. The next day it was seven, so it went up a little. What did surprise me a little is that the Western Kentucky game week two is on the board as well, and Western Kentucky was favored by 12 points, more than Vanderbilt. I I guess that's saying that Western Kentucky is a better team. We know Vanderbilt's a bottom feeder in the SEC, but they're still the SEC and they have a second year head coach a new quarterback for them one of their quarterbacks from last year played for the patriots last night in the preseason he had really good numbers uh so we'll focus a lot more on vanderbilt as we get closer and again looking forward to going to my first practice tomorrow tanner you've been to a few practices already i imagine correct yes how how would the team look what did you notice or take away from them
2: so far um i'd have to agree with a lot of people that have been to practice whether it been the venares the hunter hughes that so far it's just a lot of really good buy-in from a lot of the players. Um, So far, I think it's obvious that our two strongest rooms right now, at least when it comes to just leadership veteran-wise, would be our running backs and our offensive linemen and our linebackers, just because those are kind of the only groups that really return a lot of starters and a lot of names that we'll remember. When you look at the offensive line, I'm pretty sure four of the five are guys that have started last year. Uh, I think the last spot would be Mo Ta'ala, who did start in the Wyoming game. But if it's not him, then right. there's still that one spot that can easily be filled by a lot of really great potential guys. We know a lot about Dietrich Parson from last year, and he'll probably take a good step forward. And, of course, our linebackers with Pene Bavihi and Isaiah Tufanga, we also have a lot of really good newcomers in that room. So. When you are looking at this team, it's going to be looking at those three position groups are probably going to be our strengths, and I that's what I've mainly seen. But there's been a lot of really great flashes from guys all over the field, like Zion Bowens, uh, like uh, Jordan Johnson, the running back, the redshirt freshman running back, who had a big run I believe last week in the uh, in their scrimmage. So it's been a lot of good flashes, but it's going to be interesting to see how they'll put this all together into a meaningful playbook against Vanderbilt
1: yeah there's so many unknowns for this game the offensive line I totally agree I mean they've got the most experience back Diedrich Parsons was really I I, for some reason I didn't expect a lot out of him last year for one reason and it shouldn't be the reason that he came from Howard University which is not an FBS school but he showed that he is an FBS running back and then some he was that good I understand that they're gonna and this makes sense I guess too And this happens with a lot of teams for the defensive line they're gonna rotate a lot of guys keep everybody fresh and a lot of coaches will take that approach i think also when you look at the vanderbilt game and even western kentucky they're going to have a depth chart before those games of course but some some positions will be solidified by how players play in those first two weeks and there could be some changes in the starting lineup timmy chang also last night told me that they're still going to get some new players who haven't been practicing yet or getting here this weekend i guess because school starts on monday so there'll be some added players that maybe could be impact players as well the, again the excitement is there i mean you just see Tim, timmy last night everybody going up to him and wishing him well and even for myself just talking to people i know and didn't really recognize and i apologize for that but the fans they were all so excited we we've seen it we've heard it and he has won the offseason i think and where the team was where the, where the program was from the previous regime to where they are now is you know had, It's night and day from where it was before. Of course, now you're worried about wins and losses. And we've seen people predict. I think somebody told us two or three games. We're thinking four or five. I think you'd mentioned a few weeks ago how ESPN had Hawaii at seven and six. I'm not going to predict right now. Again, I think there are still so many unknown. New coaching staff. I I think a lot of eyes will be on Timmy Chang and how he operates on game day as well. That's going to be new for him, and that's going to be another fun position to watch. Besides on the field is what Timmy Chang does for the sidelines as well.
2: It's going to be pretty easy to spot, Timmy, because from what I've heard, a lot of the – coaches are going to be, you know, coaching from the box. I believe Yoro has already said that he prefers to be in the box rather on the field just because I think he said that he feeds off the energy of the players a little Mm -hmm. too much. So at least he's a little bit aware of that, that he feels like he'd be calm and cool headed in the box. I also believe that uh, Ian Shoemaker will also be in the box, but uh, there's no guarantee on that. Okay. when it comes to finding Timmy Chang on the field, it's going to be very easy. You won't be uh, searching through uh, a lot of different coaching heads to see uh, who's, hat, who's under that hat, who's under that hat. If you do have a comment
1: or a question, you know you can call us and text us at the Zephyr Insurance text line, 808-296-1420. We'd let, like to get your thoughts on the excitement for Hawaii football coming back. and. We, we've talked about it with this team with so many new players and the staff. We don't Again, it's, I think it's really hard to predict how this team will do. We had uh, Jeremy Mouse from Mountain West Wire dot MountainWestWire.com, part of USA Today Sports, about a week and a half ago. And he said he picked Hawaii fourth in the division when he filled out his ballot. He had Nevada and UNLV below them. But, again, we, this team is so new. Usually with the team, especially with the same coaching staff, you kind of know what to expect. I hope fans don't get down on this team where the honeymoon is over early if they struggle early. Again, we had people say two or three wins. We've had people say four, five, and up to seven. I think the the non-conference part is going to be so interesting because I still think that Not not even a miracle, but strange things can happen where just because it's a new staff and everything else doesn't mean they don't have a schedule that could give them six or seven wins, hopefully being bowl eligible. Jeremy Miles pointed out the reason he picked Nevada so low is because of all the loss of players they have and a new coaching staff. Well, it's similar here. We've got this very uh, similar situation here. I think that Vanderbilt game is going to be a good test because, first of all, if you beat an SEC team, it's still beating an SEC team, regardless of how good or bad they are. When you're from the Mountain West, when you're a middle-of-the-pack team uh, most years in the Mountain West, that would be a big accomplishment. Western Kentucky, we'll, we'll focus on more as we get closer to that game. They were really good. They were, I believe, nine and 8-5 uh, and five last year, uh, won their bowl game. And they're not the same name as Vanderbilt, but – they, they might even be more talented, and according to Vegas, they are. But this team could start off pretty well before conference play. The Michigan one, I don't have a lot of uh, faith that we can pull that big upset, but it does happen from time to time. I don't think there would be a disgrace if they lose to this team. I, know, I heard last night they are flying charter the whole way, which is something I don't believe they've ever done in the past, so that's great to hear about it's, that. It's
2: that but, $1.9 million payout. Uh, yes, that'll and that price. payout
1: is great. I mean, you, some people say, you know, we talked about this. I, I said I'd rather see Hawaii play a top-10 team, top-20 team, even if you're going to get beaten, it just feels a little better having those teams on the schedule. And I know it's basically been a mix. You have the FCS school. West, uh, Duquesne will be that team this year. Some people will add New Mexico State. But even though it might be called a body bag game and, you know, stuff like that, it's important to the program to get the money. And the price tag has gone up, as you mentioned, 1.9. And I, I just rather have those matchups. I, I rather, this is me, lose to Michigan and beat Duquesne. I mean, I'll I'd rather, I'd rather have that game because it's still Michigan. To beat Duquesne, you're expected to. I don't know how you feel about that, but I like when they play these big-time schools. That makes it fun for fans, I think.
2: I, I I agree with you. I think the big games are very important. I think the big games are as important as the FCS games. The big games are good because we do get that nice little payday right afterwards, Usually, usually over a million, and... You know, that helps the university out very well. But I think the FCS games are just as important because with those top 10 games, what usually comes to that is injuries just because of how how much usually over-talented that team is compared to ours. I mean, you're looking at a Michigan team that finished third last year. They return, I believe, their entire offensive line. Sure, they lose Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, but they have this guy. I think his name is like Maisie Smith, the defensive tackle, who is uh, Bruce Feldman from the Athletic. Hmm. He he has him as his number one athletic freak of college football this year. D- the dude is like six three three twenty five, and can he look? You have to look this up. But Bruce Feldman does this amazing list every single year of of uh, the freaks in college football. And if you just l- read the little excerpt on Maisie Smith, you will just your mouth will be wide open because he also includes videos of workouts, all of the stuff that he does. It's gonna be a very long day for those guys on the offensive line, and with when it comes to those games, injuries are going to happen. Unfortunately, yeah. So that FCS game is a nice little like okay, you just had this really hard workout. Here, here's a little bit of a, a light scrimmage. You know, not to disrespect Duquesne, not to disrespect them, but I'm not going to say that Duquesne and Michigan are, are playing on the same level here.
1: Yeah, of course of course not. And sometimes when you play these power teams, the top 10 teams, even in a loss you can get some positives out of it, and maybe it'll prepare you better for conference play. And, you know, a lot of things you can take out of a game like that. And just being in a hostile environment is one aspect as well. But I'm glad they are playing them. Again, looking at the schedule for, you know, including New Mexico State, I don't think it's that – ridiculous to think they could go three and two in those first five games. We'll talk more about the schedule in a second. We welcome your calls and texts. Also we're going to talk 49ers football at the bottom of the hour. Mark Adams from the 49ers web zone web zone will join us. And we've got a lot of football talking back uh Arnold Martinez next hour giving us more on UH as well. Back with the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu. You are listening to the Bobby Curran Show. We are the Sports Animals. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayward, the Sports Animal for today. Chris Hart will be with us in just a few minutes. We are going to go to the phones in just a minute. If you Again, you can also text us at the Zephyr Insurance text line, 808-296-1420. I just want to mention one more thing about the pigskin pig out from last night. I, I had a little... conversation with Timmy Chang. I talked to him for a while, but this one part, we both were a little upset. I've known Timmy since he was a freshman at UH, and we go way back. Somebody, and I don't know this man's name, came up to me when I was right next to Timmy and said, tell Timmy uh, which school you like better for basketball, North Carolina or Duke. And I said, well, North Carolina, I mean, who would like Duke? I can't stand Duke. And then he points at Timmy, who was giving me a very dirty look, because apparently Timmy Chang is a Duke basketball fan. He couldn't understand why I'm not. I couldn't understand why he was. And maybe that was the reason our conversation ended like 30 seconds later. I'm joking about that part, but did not like the fact that he was a Duke fan. It's the only thing – I don't agree with on with Timmy or uh, have in common, I guess, is our fondest for a college basketball team. But we do agree on college football. That is the main thing. Let's go to the phones right now. Junior has been holding on. Hi, Junior.
3: Hey, good morning, Gary and Tanner. Great job. Um, just want to say Appalachian State, they came in with no respect to the big house. And uh, maybe if you and Chris are going to the big house, uh, you'll bring them some good luck because um, – We don't know anything about Michigan. I mean, we don't know anything about Hawaii until we get on the field in two weeks. But, um, yeah, I like what you're saying, Gary. But what do you think? If you and Chris go to the big house, I think it could be an upset your
1: thoughts? We're going to go to the big living room while well, he and his living room, I'll be in mine and watching the game and listening of course to Mark and John. Right. We're not going on that trip. I-, I know you've mentioned Appalachian State a few times and it is possible. I mean it's it's very unlikely that Hawaii will win. You have to acknowledge that. Anybody who is being realistic about it has to acknowledge that. But upsets do happen. The one you mentioned was over 10 years ago. But every year there are upsets like this. Michigan, you know, they have the quarterback situation. They're still deciding who their starting quarterback is, which is interesting because They were in the playoffs last year, and they've got McNamara and McCarthy. And I think it was uh, McCarthy. but McNamara, I believe, started last year. Is that right, Tanner? Do I have that right, yes, McNamara? McNamara?
2: is the usual starter.
1: Yeah, and then McCarthy could be the starting quarterback this year, which is crazy when you think about that. Either way, we know they're going to be pretty good. They're not a very big passing team from what I understand. And even last year they used the running game maybe a little bit more. Uh, Tanner got to see them last year. He was at the Michigan-Michigan State game. Uh, but it could happen. To me, if you can, even if they lose, the last time they went up there, it was like six years ago, maybe seven. I think it was in Rolo's first year, I believe. They got, they got beat, and I don't know if it was 63-7, but that score is in my head, and it's something similar to that. And it is, some people might say it's embarrassing, but nobody's expecting them to win. I think, as I said earlier, if you can get some positives out of that game, even in a loss, I think it can help them down the way, down the look, down the road later on this season. So hopefully that'll be the case. I would love it even if they're close in the fourth quarter. If they're down by seven or ten and can make it a game and but people anticipating that Hawaii is not going to be good because of all the changes, there's also a chance some of these players, some of these transfers can be great. We've talked about the tight end. Tanner talked about him two months ago, three months ago, from Missouri State. Uh, Murray is his name. What's his first name, Tanner? Jordan Murray. Jordan Murray. We've heard great things about him. It's not just from people here. I've looked at the Mountain West Wire, and they were raving about him a few weeks ago. We've heard so many great things about him. Nobody here really knows the guy. That's just one example of a new player coming in who might— might be as good as advertised and it could really be an impact player and a difference maker. So we, I'm hoping we can surprise people and I think they will because almost any game Hawaii wins might be a surprise according to what the odds makers and some of the uh, experts are predicting for this team. But that's the fun part of sports, seeing how it plays out. If it's already predetermined, if you know you're going to go undefeated like Alabama, that's not a bad place to be either. But it doesn't have a lot of drama or suspense during the season for the most part. For Hawaii, again, as a sports fan for myself, I want all of my team teams to win but I like the fact that this it's not that definite in advance it's not easy to predict how this team will be now I would also say after two or three games we're going to have a much better idea about this team the first two games Vanderbilt Western Kentucky Michigan I don't know if we'll be able to know a lot about our team just from that game because it could be that much of a victory for uh, Michigan, the margin of victory. But after the first three games, we'll know a lot more about this team. And I said a few minutes ago, and I'll say it again, when you look at the schedule, I don't think it's that impossible to go 3-2. and two. And I could be wrong where they go 0-5 or 1-4, but I think the schedule sets them up for conference play where if they can do that, they could be in a bowl game if they uh, take care of business and finish just 500 in conference.
3: Well, just two things i want like to mention, and you just mentioned that first, uh, they're going on charter. U.H. Yeah. has never gone on charter and, you know, to well, guess they have to Michigan, they, so gone they on Michigan. They've gone on charter. Yeah.
1: Uh, some t- sometimes they'll fly to, let's say, the West Coast, and then they'll take a charter right. to the other destination. So they, I don't believe they've taken a charter from Hawaii to a place like Michigan. I don't even think Florida was like that and UMass wasn't like that. But they've taken a charter on, a, on, a,
3: on half their t- trip, you know, at least part of it from the mainland then, to one city to another. And one more thing, Gary, there – this game is not going to be played at 12 o'clock in the day where it's, uh, you know, seven o'clock Hawaii time. They're playing nighttime. So uh, it'll be maybe a little cooler. I don't know how cool it is in Michigan in the summer, but um, Hey, you never know, like you said, and uh, we're just hoping that, uh, you know, Timmy can frustrate uh, this Michigan defense. And could you imagine a rookie coach beating Jim Harbaugh at his house? So all we're saying I like is the like sound of that said, uh, let's, let's go. Yeah. Let's go bulls, man. And, like, uh, if Tanner could tell a little about that Michigan-Michigan State game, you know, the Big Ten guys always have big old linemen. Yeah. And if we can frustrate frustrate them with blitzes and maybe a little twerks on our defense, hold uh, Michigan frustrated, maybe we can come out with something in the fourth quarter. But that's just wishful thinking, I guess, Gary. But thanks a lot. Good job, you okay. and Tanner.
1: Thanks, Junior. Thanks for the call. One thing I would say, I don't think the weather is going to have any I mean, I don't think it's going to be 95 degrees in mid well not mid-september september 10th is the date for that game but even if it's 85 i think hawaii is probably more acclimated to those temperatures and that weather than a lot of schools just because it's like that year round so they're used to it i'm sure michigan's used to it practicing for the last two or three two weeks or so whatever it's been so yeah we'll find out more about the weather as we get closer but i don't think that would be a factor at all and uh again stranger things have happened when i look at the point spread for the first two games I, now i wonder what it'll be for that game it's probably going to be in the 20s and it might be more dependent on what happens in the first two games uh, with Vanderbilt and Western Kentucky. Just going back again, when you look at the first five, Vanderbilt, Western Kentucky, Michigan, Duquesne, New Mexico State. The two road games are Michigan, tough game. New Mexico State's on the road. Probably, Hopefully it won't be a tough game. But if you can go three and two, then you just got to go four and four in conference. And I know that's still a tall task. And I don't like to predict or go too far down the line. But when I look at the big picture, I think this team could have success. And, again, if they do go, let's say, 2-11, for example, and I really don't think that will happen, and I really hope that doesn't happen even more. So I'm hoping the fans will stay on board. You've been around long enough, Tanner, to know how fans can be. And Hawaii is no different than a lot of places. You struggle, and there's going to be a lot of criticism, negativity, especially in this world as we know it with social media.
2: Well, I'll also say I feel like Timmy Chang also knows a lot about that in his playing time at the University of Hawaii. You can be one of the best quarterbacks that UH has ever seen and still get booed out for throwing a (laughs) bunch of interceptions. So I think Timmy's already very much aware of how how emotions can swing here in the state of Hawaii. But I think with a lot of the really great stuff that's been done uh, over this offseason, You know, really getting the program back together, kind of like getting back to, I'll say the Rolo days, because I feel like it's hard to say, you know, the June days, because, of course, we would have to start winning, first of all. So this is a great first step forward after the Todd Graham era. Glad that it's over. Now we get to start our Timmy Chang era in about, what, two weeks? Two weeks and a day? Yes. I believe so. I think... I'm excited for this team. There's a lot of really great unknowns that you mentioned. We talked about Jordan Murray a lot. I will say if there's a name to remember of an unknown guy, Verdell Edwards, transfer from Iowa State. He's moving a cornerback from safety. He's been a really, really great playmaker in practices all offseason. So don't forget the name Verdell Edwards, number 23, at that cornerback spot. Is he
1: the guy who is he 6'2 or 6'3"?
2: Something crazy like
1: that. Yeah, I saw his size, and I've heard I've heard and read a lot about him, so you're, you're right about that. And, yeah, I was, again, talking to Timmy last night, letting him know how the excitement has just been building and how it's so different from January before he got hired. And he acknowledged that, but he also said now it's time to win games. But th- from where they were in January, I don't know if I thought then that there would be this kind of hype and excitement and people looking forward to a season from back then. It, it, it's a quick turnaround for that to happen. Again, that's the off-season. What it really comes down to is what you're gonna win, how many games, but first things first, getting the getting the fans back on board, getting the community involved in so many different ways. Last night was just another example. He, he's won the off-season, and I think that was very important because, the, I mean, we, we it's easy to forget what it was like in December and January. It was not a pretty picture when everything started coming out. And of course, the, the Senate hearings uh, was even uglier. So we're headed in the right direction. And as you said, just 15 days away till kickoff. Also, speaking of UH football, it's Call the Coach with Timmy Chang, August 17th, next Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Shopping Center. It's our first regular season Call the Coach with Timmy Chang. We're going to have a lot more this season. Of course, you can call or text in with your questions and comments to John Veneri and Coach Timmy Chang. It is brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186. Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, and Paxa. We'll be back with some 49ers talk with the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu. It's Aloha Friday here in Hawaii. Sports Animals here for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. Chris will be with, here, with us a little bit later. And uh The NFL preseason, officially week one, I guess, even though we had the Hall of Fame game last week. We know there's a lot of 49ers fans here, and they will be playing later today as well. Eight hours from now, they will go up against Green Bay. Uh, ended their season with last year that snow game in Green Bay and joining us now on ESPN Honolulu is a man who covers the San Francisco 49ers for the 49ers web zone Mark Adams back with us Mark thanks for joining us on game day what do you think we'll see with Trey Lance today as far as how much action he'll get I
4: think
5: I think that Kyle Shanahan's going to play him probably at least a few series he's already come out and said he's going to play him He just doesn't know how much he's going to play him. But I think it depends on how the series go. If they're smooth, then he'll probably play a a few. But if it looks like he needs work, more work, uh, then then maybe he'll get more time. But I'm not sure if Trent Williams is playing. I doubt Mike McGlinchey is going to play. And so without your starting right tackles, I, I don't know if you want Lance out there too much.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to make you want to make sure he doesn't get hurt if you can't control that uh, in any way possible without the starters in there. That makes sense. How has he looked in camp? I mean, we've we've heard so many great things about Lance in the off season, and he didn't play a lot last year. When he did play, he looked pretty good for the most part. And we know the expectations are really high with them. What can we expect from him based on what you have seen or heard so far in training camp?
5: He's been really up and down in camp. He will have one terrible practice and he'll follow that up with an amazing practice Uh, he's even had um, those kinds of situations within a practice so like he may be bad for part of the practice and then he'll finish really strong and so uh, his accuracy has been an issue uh, and that's we knew that coming in that uh, that was part of the scouting report uh, when he was drafted and even before the draft that he was going to be raw, that he was going to need a lot of work. But by all accounts, he's a quick learner. He's really devoted to learning and getting better. So I I think his future is bright, but this year is going to have some ups and downs for sure.
1: The elephant in the room, I guess, still is Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'm not sure if you're tired of answering questions about him, but I want to get the latest <laughs> on his status. We know he's getting ready to join another team somehow, and I guess that's the question. Is he going to be traded? Will he be waived? And now we hear that Cleveland could be very interested in Jimmy G if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a full year.
5: Yeah, that's the big thing that we're all waiting for is is what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson I think Mary Kay Cabot, uh, who covers the Browns, is the one that, that came out with the fact that the Browns are still interested. So that is a possibility. Some have been talking about a possibility that the Rams, if Matthew Stafford is continuing to have problems with his arm, that that could be a possibility. I, I think that that's being overplayed. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be fine. Uh, so I, I think that it's possible that he gets traded, but it's also possible that they cut him. Right before the season, you know, when, when they have to get down to the, the last cuts, the hope is that he doesn't go somewhere like Seattle. And that could be one of the reasons why they're holding on to him in case he does go to Seattle. Uh, they, you know, you want him to have as little preparation time as possible.
1: <laughs> I guess that makes sense. We're talking San Francisco 49ers football with Mark Adams from the49erswebzone.com. He joins us on ESPN Honolulu. You can check out Mark on Twitter at 49ers Camelot. W- one thing I wonder about with Jimmy G, we'll move on to other aspects of the team. If they, tr- if they wave him, they don't get anything. If they trade and they can get something in return. So you would think for the 49ers, from their perspective, it would make more sense to do that. I would also think because teams know they're in this situation that they're not going to give up that much because they know the 49ers could be stuck and maybe forced away from at some point. Do you think that is in play as far as teams knowing they can wait it out and not have to give as much up if they actually do want to get them in a the trade?
5: Yeah, definitely. That's that's the big situation that they're in that, that they can that teams know they want to move on. I mean, there there are some that, that have suggested maybe they should keep him in case Trey Lance gets hurt or in case he's just awful. Then you have Garoppolo, and then if you let him go next year, maybe you could get a, a compensatory pick for him. But the whole salary cap thing is an issue um, because salary cap carries over to the next year. So if they can move him off of their books this year – then they actually would have that salary cap space carry over to next season. But, yeah, you're right. There's, There there are teams that probably are very interested, but they're not moving quickly because they're waiting to see if he gets released.
1: Yeah, the price tag will probably keep dropping, unless the team gets desperate if they have an injury before the regular season. Then there might be more teams involved. Debo Samuel signs his contract recently. Looks like everything is going really well. He's happy, and he- following them on social media again. Do you think he'll be used any less as a running back this year? I've heard talk like that, and maybe from from Debo Samuel's perspective, that he might not want to be a, a, get as many carries as he did last year. Is there anything to that, or do you anticipate that he will be used pretty similar to the past, especially last year?
5: Well, I think that he's going to be used less in the running game simply because the 49ers have more depth at running back this year. So last year when they used him so much, it really became a situation where they had to do it because everybody was so dinged up. Uh, That shouldn't be the case this year. Not only that, but he actually has uh, some clauses in his contract where if he gets certain care, certain amount of carries, certain amount of rushing yards, certain amount of uh, rushing touchdowns, he gets paid more based on some of those uh, incentives. So, I don't think he's going to be against running the ball because it could end up benefiting him. But but I, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to do it as much this season because I don't think it's going to be as necessary.
1: I saw from Pro Football Focus earlier today that they, with their rankings, have the San Francisco 49ers wide receiver unit as the sixth best in the NFL. Would you agree to that? I
5: Yeah, I, I think that they're probably pretty high – um, Brandon Ayuk has looked great in camp, and he worked with Trey Lance all off season. So I really expect him to have a coming out party, which is going to make next off season interesting. If Brandon Ayuk becomes a number one receiver, or becomes the number one receiver on the Forty how you know how are they going to pay him? But that's for another day. But, but yeah, with Debo, with Ayuk, um, I don't know if that included tight ends or if it was just strictly receivers. But but really, after those two, everybody else is a question mark. Uh, Jawan Jennings had some good moments last year. Uh, Danny Gray is a really fast rookie. But I, I don't know what he's going to do once, uh, once the lights come on. I guess we'll have to see. But, but yeah, I, I think that they should be ranked pretty high because Debo's one of the top receivers in the league. And I think that this year Brandon Ayuk's going to show himself to be that as well.
1: We mentioned they play the Packers in their first preseason game at 2.30 p.m. Hawaii time. What are you going to be looking at? What do the the 49ers have to show you as they get ready for the regular season with their first preseason game tonight?
5: The most important thing I want to see is nobody get hurt. That's (laughs) that's the main thing. But I I do want to see what Trey Lance does. I want to see what that young offensive line does because – Right now, it's looking like three fifths of the starters are going to be, which is 60%, that are, are going to be new. And so one of them is a rookie, Spencer Burford. <clears throat> so I'm really anxious to see how that offensive line looks like. Not worried about the defense. Uh, I, I could care less if, if guys like Bosa and, and Fred Warner and those guys, I, I don't care if they play or not. But uh, But mainly that offensive line and Trey Lance
1: is is what I'm wanting to see. I think a lot of fans are curious about Trey Lance and hoping for the best, and of course for the 49ers trying to get back to the playoffs and a little further than the championship game that they were in last year. Mark, thanks again for joining us. We always love talking 49ers football with you. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk again as we get closer to the regular season.
5: Thanks for having me. I
1: appreciate it. All right, thank you. Mark Adams, you can check out 49erswebzone.com and get even more insight there for the 49ers as he joins us on ESPN Honolulu. A lot more football talk, and when Tanner and I come back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit more about Deshaun Watson and the offer that his camp uh, supposedly gave to the NFL and the uh, appeal process. We'll talk more about that and more on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to The Bobby Curren Show. Sports Animals, and for Bobby Kern of the Bobby Kern Show, we hope to get Bobby on the show again next week to get an update. I did see his son uh, last night at the Pigskin Pigout. He was serving food, uh, Finn, and he said Bobby's doing pretty good. Everything is running along according to plan, and as uh, good as he is in Phoenix. We'll get more of an update next week from Bobby. So there were two preseason games last night, and doesn't matter who wins or loses to me. I think a lot of fans – I think. Some coaches obviously want to win maybe a new coach, coach on a hot seat. But I look at a, little, a few different aspects. Now, again, it's only a preseason game, but Malik Willis, came out of Liberty I thought he did a pretty good job and again it's against the Titans who have a pretty good defense he was six of 11 107 yards he also rushed for 38 yards and the one touchdown run that he had reminded me of what I saw in college that guy was really good in college I think Tennessee has the replacement for Ryan Tannehill don't know when he'll be the starter but I can see really good things for him after what we saw last night also the Baltimore Ravens and this is crazy I don't know if everybody has heard this they win last night you might have heard that beating the Titans 23-10 it's their 21st straight win in exhibition game 21 and that's probably a record that won't ever be broken. We always talk about records that are hard to break. And it's weird that an exhibition schedule or season will be included. But how can a team win 21 games in a row in the preseason? I don't want to say it's luck, but I think part of it could be attributed to that. And I know you got Justin Tucker kicked a couple of 47-yarders last night. But that is a fact that I was a little surprised. And I've heard it last year, I guess, when – they were getting up to 20, still kind of incredible that they've been able to win so often in what to a lot of us is a meaningless game, which is kind of how Bill Belichick looked at his game. They do lose to the New York Giants 23-21, to 21, a full slate of games today. We'll get more into that. We're going to get you caught up with traffic. We've got buy or sell coming up in just a few minutes, and the latest on Deshaun Watson. All ahead with the Sports Animals in for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. Hour number two of the Sports Animals in for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here. Chris will be with us in a few minutes. Got a lot to go over still uh, in the next couple of hours, a lot of it involving football. We're going to have Arnold Martinez join us in about 18 minutes talking UH football. Next hour, D. Orlando Ledbetter from from the Atlanta Constitution Journal newspaper. Uh, his By luck or coincidence, his article in yesterday's Star Advertiser appeared mainly on Marcus Mariota. And when I worked out having him on, that was a few days ago, so I had no idea his article would be in our paper. So we'll get the latest as Atlanta's getting ready, and hopefully Marcus will have a nice uh, preseason as well. So that's coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll get to the uh, few texts in a minute or two. I know Jeff texted in about Deshaun Watson. That is something we will cover. But first things first, it is that time, and at 7 o'clock every morning, or sometimes 7.02
0: it is what is it called tanner the bobby curran show presents buy or sell
2: that's right we have time for our favorite daily feature buy or sell tanner hayworth here let's go ahead and jump straight into it of course this is the only way this season in the mlb that you'll ever talk about a chicago cubs cincinnati reds game (laughs) as they did have the field of dreams game last night of course This is, I believe, the second year in a row where MLB goes to the Field of Dreams game. Uh, The field where it was filmed, the field... Oh my God, the Field of Dreams in Iowa. And of course, the Chicago Cubs do get the better of the Reds, 4-2. Sure, it wasn't the Yankees-White Sox game that we had last year, but like Seiya Suzuki said, hey, we don't have cornfields like this in Japan. (laughs) Buy or sell, the Field of Dreams game is great for the MLB, and they should look for other great stadiums and other stories to tell in later years.
1: Okay, before I answer that, Tanner will give his uh, answer to his own by herself, since Chris is not here right now. I'm going to buy that, and not maybe 100% worth. I think it's great that they do it. I wish they could keep it in the same field, which is right next to where the movie was filmed for those scenes. They did it in some other states where they had unique... Venues, or could create a venue that would have a great atmosphere. That's not bad either. But I think this was so cool. I only caught part of it yesterday, but I heard the the reports and watched some videos. Uh, everything was great. It's just a. Really cool event that Major League Baseball could pull this off. I believe there were just over 7,000 fans there, but it It wasn't two of the better teams, but that kind of atmosphere is good for the game. I think even if you're not a big baseball fan, you'll get attracted to the Field of Dreams game. So I'm buying it. I hope they continue it, although I understand it won't be next year because of construction going on in that stadium. So hopefully it'll return in 2024. Either way, I'm buying.
2: Yeah, I'm going to buy as well. The Field of Dreams game is amazing. And I like you said, there is going to be a lot of construction being done at the field to make it into a larger recreational center park, have hotels and dorms ready so that more games can be played in that area in Iowa. And when I mentioned maybe looking for other great stadiums to play in maybe that year, maybe I believe in New Jersey, there's been large renovations done to one of the last standing Negro League baseball fields that. That are still standing in New Jersey. So maybe that's somewhere we can go to have that one year of solace from the Field of Dreams game. So I'm going to go ahead and buy on that as well. Buy I'm going to add
1: one my- thing to that, because when you talk about the Field of Dreams game, we've seen where, for example, hockey has the New Year's, I'm not even sure what it's called, it's an outdoor game, and it used to be on New Year's Day. It's gone on for like eight, nine years. In the last four or five years, they've added three or four other outside games. So it doesn't have to be just one. For the Field of Dreams game, keep that and maybe add another one or two, but I hope they keep it in Iowa. That's just a great, great story and great
0: memories when they have that every year. Buy, 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 buy. or sell? Sell, sell, sell. Next.
2: Of course, last night, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens played in week one of preseason. There were a lot of really great highlights for third round pick Malik Willis, a quarterback that a lot of people thought a lot of teams passed on. While he did show his athletic ability on a seven yard rushing touchdown, he was eventually benched in the second play of second half with Vrabel citing we wanted him to throw the ball more. So as soon as he rushed the ball, we took him out by yourself. Malik Willis will not be that guy for a couple of seasons for the Tennessee Titans. Ooh,
1: I'm going to – that's a really tough one because it looks – I mean, they, they drafted him to be their future, and they're hoping that he'll be their future. Ryan Tannehill, I mean, I know some people have been down on him, but he did lead them to the best record in the AFC last year at 13-3. and three. They got upset by Cincinnati like some other teams. I, I, I'm going to buy that. I think in the next few years he will be their future and will be their starting quarterback. And right now it's Ryan Tannehill and let him sit and learn for a while. But in a couple of years, it looks like he will be that guy, so I'm buying.
2: I'm going to slightly sell on that because I do agree with you that he won't be that solid starter for you for a couple of years, but I have a feeling that something is going to happen with Ryan Tannehill or maybe he won't start playing up to his ability and maybe the Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee coaching staff might overreact and throw Malik Willis in there before he's really ready to go. And maybe we see some Vince Young start to happen to him where he could have done with a little more developing. But because he was thrown into the fire too soon, something might not develop correctly. So I will sell on that one.
0: Okay. And we have another one. Buy, 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 buy. or sell.
2: Sell, sell, sell. And finally, like we just mentioned, hey, it's preseason football. You're going to see starters. You're going to see rookies. And you're going to see a lot of undrafted guys that you probably have never heard of. So finally, buy or sell. Hey, don't overreact when your favorite player is not playing or performing very well in this preseason.
1: I will buy that as well. I, I hope fans aren't like that. Uh, I, I would. I, I will even go further and say that I hope fans don't get upset if your team loses in the preseason and don't get too excited if they win. To me, again, the wins and losses in the preseason are incredibly irrelevant. There's a lot of things that do matter in these games, but winning or losing really doesn't. Uh, Though some people might look at that differently. But uh, so I'm, I'm going to buy that one as well.
2: Of course, that's going to be a big bye-bye-bye for me. Hey, it's the preseason. You, you'll be you'll be excited by a lot of guys. Maybe we'll have another Dak Prescott situation where he plays so well in the preseason, but you probably won't see him unless the starting quarterback does get injured, which happened for Dak Prescott in the year when he was a rookie. So this is a nice time to see young guys start to develop, but let's make room for the starters by the time regular season comes.
0: Buy, yeah. buy, buy, buy. or sell? Sell, sell, sell.
2: But that's his Buy or Sell on ESPN, Honolulu.
1: Sorry about that, Tanner. I'll cut you off there for a second. You know, you're all probably good, good. too young to know or remember that they used to have six preseason games. When there was a 14-game schedule, there were six preseason games. Of course, it was four up until last year. I, I'll watch them, and I think, again, because you don't have really a lot of sports going on from when the NBA Finals end every year in a normal year in mid-June. You do have baseball, and I'm not forgetting baseball, but baseball in July... And early August, at least, they call the dog days of summer for a reason. Now it gets really exciting. But now football is back. I think people look forward to football for preseason football for several reasons and factors. One is the gambling, and the another one is just because football is popular. And I think even more so because you're starving for more sports. Uh, again, not taking a knock at baseball but people really can't wait for football to start you hear the countdowns all the time so uh but again i'm glad it's not six games i wouldn't mind if they eliminate the preseason totally some coaches i saw the other day would like to have these joint practices that they maybe get a lot more out of than just having a preseason game especially with the injury thank you for the buy and you know speaking of football we did get a text from jeff a little earlier i want to address that he's talking about deshaun watson And he says, Roger Goodell wants a season. I think it'll be 12 games, $10 million fine, but I want a season, according to Jeff. Thanks for that text. And you can also text at the Zephyr Insurance text line as well, 808-296-1420. Tanner, I know you heard about this yesterday, and I heard Josh talking about it in the afternoon. The report came out. That the NFL was ready to give Deshaun Watson the 12-game suspension and $10 million fine originally. He rejected it. Now, Deshaun Watson's camp is coming back with an eight-game suspension and a $5 million fine. A couple things come into mind for me. When you're going to an arbitrator through the appeal process, I didn't think it was still up for either side to make an offer. I thought it was just up to him. We know it's going to be six games no matter how this plays out, and I hope everybody realizes that. Even if the the judge from New Jersey who is handling this appeal rules in favor of Watson, well, he's still at the six-game suspension. What this appeal is all about is seeing if there's going to be added games and a fine. And the fine comes into play because of how Cleveland worked his contract, giving him only about a million dollars this year and a majority of the money in the next six years, which is smart for Deshaun Watson. The NFL didn't like it, some owners weren't happy, and they now, the NFL, according to what I've read, wants to include a fine in whatever the punishment ends up up being because they kind of found a loophole and, you know, went around the system, so to speak. There is a chance that the appeal could be Judge and re, uh, announce today whether the appeal was upheld or not. And if the NFL wins this appeal, he will not play in tonight's game against Jacksonville. If it was a regular season game, that would be a really tough situation for any team. It being the preseason, I'm sure Cleveland is prepared either way, whether it's Jacoby Persett maybe getting some starts or Josh Rosen. Uh, Jacoby percent getting snaps, excuse me. But Deshaun Watson is listed as the starter. There's still a chance in the next five, six hours that he is pulled. will Find out more. If we hear anything between now and 9, we'll let you know. Let's go to the phones. Mike is with us. Hey, Mike.
6: Hey, Gary. That Hi. that contract stuff, I'm so sick and tired of hearing Peter King and these morons talking about Deshaun's contract. Every single guy that signs these huge contracts, the first year is a million dollars because they for salary cap purposes, every single one of them. I don't it's think every single alone. one is a million. Oh yeah, every one of them. Look at all the big ones that sign. That's how they. That's how they manipulate the cap. So they can sign guys. They get. They. They, they give them that huge signing bonus, right?
1: Right, it does have. That's what happened with Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. I mean, they're getting tons of money. People don't understand how the Rams can afford all of this. But you're right; they're more back, back loaded, and not as much in the first year. I didn't know if it was a million. I thought it might have been more, but you could be right with that, I guess.
6: Yeah, it's all a million dollars. That's 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 the minimum. They, 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 I think it's a minimum salary you have to pay a guy over there in the NFL. But the other thing is about it. It boggles my mind. I mean, something happened, right? But nobody knows. And these women. What kicks me off is the Texans are getting off scot-free. He was their employee, and they settled with 30 women. They right. set this up for this guy, right? Why yes. are they getting off scot-free? I mean, Cleveland didn't have this guy. And Roger Goodell allowed uh, the Texans to trade him. I mean, if it was all that bad, why why did they allow that? Well, why, w- why would they not allow it? I mean, the guy is still allowed to well, be because traded. They're saying the guy should be, should they, because the guy should be suspended. Indefinitely—that's Robert Roger Goodell's thing. Indefinitely means you might not come back. So why should you be allowed to trade an asset that uh, could be uh, suspended indefinitely? It's just like a guy—like uh, uh, he's injured almost.
1: But he hasn't been suspended yet. It. If, until he is suspended, no, you, he, he can you can do anything. You, or you could have played him last year if you wanted. Maybe the, the NFL would have probably have come down then if they did play him. But uh, if he's suspended, you can still trade him. But he's not suspended, which makes it even more feasible that you can. There's nothing against the rules with them trading him.
6: No, but it's a kangaroo court. I mean, you know, this is a kangaroo court. The NFL sh- should always wait until the legal thing's over, and then if the legal guys hit him, then you got clause.
1: Uh, right. And I that's mean, what they've that been they doing. That's waited. what they've been doing. They haven't waited at all. I mean, they have The NFL hasn't the done to anything that. to him yet. Yeah. The NFL hasn't done anything to him yet. I mean, they what are you talking about? They, well, gave that, a suspension. they gave him the six games. Okay, we reword that. They they gave him the six-game suspension, but they did wait for the legal process. He was not. He was found not guilty. There was no charges that they could uphold in a court of law. So he wasn't faced. He has the civil suits. I know, but he didn't. He wasn't found guilty of anything, even though we think he is. So why would the NFL not allow him to be traded? There's no way they could disallow that or prohibit that. Yeah, but such, that.
6: Uh, What I'm saying is. Okay, if you allow him to be traded, wait out the whole legal thing. Let him play. When it's over, you suspend him. They're they're, they're having their cake and eat it
1: too. Okay, but right? they you see where I'm they did. From? I do, but I think again they gave him the six game suspension, and right. without him being found guilty, I don't think there's anything more they should have done at this point. Even again, because we think he's guilty, if there was no charges, then they wait for the legal system to play itself out. Well, what could they have done at the time? They still again, he saw the civil he, case. He, you know what? what the, you know what the elephant in
6: the room is, Gary. This was all a front for prostitution. This isn't no I got massage. Nobody gets sixty-six women and have it set up by a massage parlor. I mean, he, let's face it. These massage parlors are most of them are just fronts for prostitution. This isn't a team, or you know, it's not. You're not going to a hospital, or, or you know, what I'm saying some kind of facility. Uh, to, to get you're going to a massage parlor. I mean, he, but players get massaged. It.
1: I know what you're saying. There's no way to prove that def, you know, definitely on one side or the other. I'll just say this, and we have right. to go to a break, Mike. Is that I wonder why, with there were 66 women who did give him mas- massages, according to the New York Times report, how come only 26 or 24 came forward to face, file charges? I wonder about that. You know I what? still think he's guilty, but there's not the proof, so you can't go that way. Hey, Mike, we're up against the clock, so I got to run, but I appreciate your comments, and I, I would think a lot of people would agree there. And I, again, I I do think he's guilty, but I don't think the NFL was at fault for allowing him to get traded. There's no way they could have prevented that in any CBA. We're going to uh, follow up and talk more football, including University of Hawaii football, as Arnold Martinez will join us coming up after this break. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show. We are the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth for the Bobby Current Show and ESPN Honolulu. We've got more UH football to talk about right now as we are joined by our guest. You hear him on the Countdown the Kickoff pregame show and at a halftime for UH football. Also has a great podcast, Tips and Overthrows. Got to get those. All right, we'll get that down as well. arnold martinez joined the show arnold thank you so much for joining us once again i'm curious on your response to this because you've been a coach and you've been with colleges and high schools of course when you're two weeks before the first game of the season especially with the new staff how far along should this team be in the big picture right now
7: yeah first of all good morning thanks gary and tanner and 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 chris wherever you are in the universe um (laughs) first you know to answer your question gary first at this point um, I think you know the team should have uh, you know all the standards and expectations set as far as how they want to operate, um, the culture, the environment, all of it. And you know, and this goes for coaches, players, everyone in the building should know how they uh, how they do things. You know, campus is about teaching and learning, and you want to be efficient as possible with your time. Second, I think the schematic install should be complete uh, for, Offense defense and special teams all of the foundational concepts of scheme should be installed by now and they should be really just cleaning it up daily and, and evaluating personnel. Um, they will continue to build off those core concepts as they go uh, coaches, you know, never will never be 100% completely happy with execution of scheme. Uh, they know it is a consistent constant progression and every rep in practice is an opportunity to get better but Um, At this point they should have the foundation installed and then third some teams uh, You know by this point um, In camp have introduced opponent game planning, you know using this time to get a little bit ahead of the schedule with a preview Of what they'll see in their first few opponents Um, I did hear coach Timmy talk about how he felt after the first camp scrimmage and he seemed pleased about where they are but he knows they have work to do. He he said it, and and I know coaches monitoring. You know he's also monitoring the players' bodies right now. Um, they really wanted to emphasize physicality in camp, and uh, about this time is when players have to really balance recovery and performance. So your your training staff, everybody has to play a role here because, you know, they're going to be a little banged up. Um, it, it it's like building those calluses in the weight room, right? The body has to build calluses. You got. You have to, mental calluses physical couch. You have to get used to the grind mentally and the pounding physically. So um, they'll monitor that as they get uh, through the rest of camp. But it sounds like they're on schedule where they want to be at this point.
1: If you're Vanderbilt and you don't know who the quarterback's going to be, as we hear we heard it last night again from Timmy Chang, that they're not going to announce it until right before kickoff on August mm-hmm. 27th. How does that go on there? And as far as their preparation, not knowing if it might be Shager, uh, it could be and it could be almost, not almost anybody, but it could be those two, maybe even Cam Cooper in there, or even Jake Farrell. So how does that affect Vanderbilt prep for this game?
7: I think what they're going to do is, uh, so what Vanderbilt's going to do is really kind of identify past places that Coach Timmy has been, whether even if it goes all the way back to Jacksonville uh, State, right? Um, but, you know, because they want to get an idea of schematic, Uh, alignments and and things of that nature first. And then if they can scour the earth and get any film on Shager, get any film on Cooper, if Cooper had any reps somewhere, if Yellen had any reps somewhere, they're going to do a little bit of that um, to try to um, get an idea of their skill sets and their strengths and weaknesses. So that's really how you're going to approach it if you don't know who that is. You're really planning for Um, uh, The scheme and and getting your guys basically defensively lined up properly everything remember we talked about it It's alignment assignment key and technique If you have your foundational concepts of defense installed and you guys got you know You have your rules and your technique and your keys and and you're operating the right way at some point You know, it's not uh, who the quarterback is right. It's not who you play It's how you play because they don't have that database of uh, tendencies and, and everything um, because, like you said, we don't know who the actual quarterback will be. And plus, it's a new scheme. And, you know, they haven't seen Coach Timmy and Coach Shoemaker's um, scheme, uh, you know, comprehensively at this point. So it's going to take a little time for teams to, to, to get used to that and catch up. So they're going to, like I said, they're going to scour the earth and find whatever they can just to kind of piece uh, ideas together and then get their guys fundamentally sound to operate the right way.
1: Coach Arnold Martinez joins the animals filling in for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. We'll hear him on August 27th in that countdown the kickoff spot with Josh getting ready for the season opener against Vanderbilt. So I'm curious also when you have new coaching staff, maybe you go with any staff that's not even new, but before conference play starts, do you maybe minimize the playbook because you don't want your conference opponents to know certain things that you're doing? You think they might not show everything over these first five games.
7: Yeah. You know what? Honestly, you know, my, my approach, and I think I've talked to a lot of guys about this. um, And I might've mentioned it earlier when you install your scheme or playbook, you really install your foundational concepts first, right? Then you build on those based on the skill sets of your roster. You execute plays that fit your player's specific skill level. People think, Oh, I just pick a scheme and we run it. No, you really want to build a scheme that your players can execute at a high level based on their physical uh, attributes. Then you scout your opponent, right? And you usually break down five of their most recent games. So you gather all of your data, opponent skills, uh, their skill sets, um, their attributes, their technique by position, down and distance, field position, formation, personnel group, and their tendencies. So then you evaluate your playbook and you adjust and fine-tune your best scheme based on your personnel versus their personnel. And their tendencies, right? So you create your plan of attack that way. So each game, you never really use the entire playbook uh, for one single opponent. Um, And it's not really a timetable based on time of the season. You know, I knew OCs that had 180 plays on their call sheet, but you never really get to that. You know, it's like, uh, this is too crazy. Um, (laughs) For me, I would not create a game plan based on conference or non-conference opponent. I just want to get or put our guys in the best possible position to execute our scheme at the highest level we can that gives us the best chance to win right it, like i just said earlier it, it's not who we play it's how we play so to answer your question regardless of the opponent who the opponent is a week to week they may not ever use the entire playbook for that specific game some scheme that works well for one opponent may not work for another and i tell you this boys State did this in the past remember the old Statue of Liberty play in the field right, right right they had variations of that throughout the season and showed variations But they had never one time ran it that specific way. So it was just an adjustment based on the the concept. And then they pulled it out because they knew they self-scout. You know, all teams self-scout. So they knew they had never run it this way. So the team wouldn't – so, oh, you would never be prepared for it. You know what I mean? So you never – hopefully that answered your question.
1: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. You had Timmy Chang on your podcast recently. And just Mm -hmm. being a former head coach – what do you think will be the biggest challenge for Timmy Chang on game day? I mean, it's going to be different for him. He's been an assistant coach for a very long time, but this is going to be different in his role. I know he's been at practice being the lead guy and the main guy, but what do you think is going to be different for him or the challenges more specifically on game days?
7: Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you put that head coach's hat, the scope of your job now, you you know where every screw for every face mask helmet is. and I mean, you, you have to know – the entire, everything your program from A to Z, but on game day specifically, right? There's definitely a learning curve when putting the head coach's hat on. Um, it's different from being a position coach because you just have your own small set of responsibilities and your job, right? But, uh, and, and some of the things you can't simulate, you have to experience it in live action to get better at it. Just like in life, you have to learn from experience. Uh, you know, he's good, and he'll evaluate himself how he executes his role in the game. All good head coaches self-evaluate, hold themselves accountable to, to the team and the staff and say, hey, that's my deal. I could have done that better. So, yes, there will be some challenges and, and some missteps here and there. Um, he's going to have to learn how to manage the game and understand situational football throughout the whole throughout the whole game. You have to be prepared for schematic situations, substitution situations, play calling adjustments. Communications with the refs, how do you get your, you know, you you want to be able to communicate with them the right way. Communication with the staff. Basically, you know, you're the ultimate game manager of your team, and you have to delegate jobs to your staff and have faith they're going to do them. But you have to sync up with your staff and and how you want the program to operate during the game. So there's a whole operations. They probably have practiced game day operations by this point. Uh, If not, they're going to soon. Uh, Most staffs at that level will simulate game day operations. So they'll have a practice where guys have headsets on and they have an itinerary that looks like a game day itinerary with the the clock and the countdown. So hopefully they've done that. Um, But the same way you want your players to sync up and gel, you as the head coach have to do the same thing with your staff and, and I tell you, there are a lot of challenges each year as a head coach at any level, on and off the field. But you get better in the game, uh, you know, each game as you go and each year. And Timmy's been around some good head coaches, and I'm sure he's done some homework to prepare for his new role, right? He's probably picked their brain and, you know, give him some time and grace because, as he, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. But as he gets – give him time and grace as he gets his footing firmly planted.
1: I think we'll do a good job in that, and it starts 15 days from now. Arnold, thank you for spending a few minutes with us. We'll keep in touch, have you on the show from time to time, and kick off just 15 days away for the Vanderbilt game. We'll see you there as well. 15 days, baby, let's go. I like it. Thanks, Arnold. All right.
7: Appreciate you guys.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Arnold Martinez, who you'll hear for the Countdown, the kickoff, pregame show, every game this season. And, of course, the great podcast, Tips and Overthrows. And if you want to follow Arnold on Twitter, Twitter handle is at tips underscore overthrows. Hey, before we go to break, I want to ask Tanner if he remembers this. What he uh, Arnold brought up the Statue of Liberty play that Boise State used against Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Do you remember that, Tanner?
2: Yes, I do remember okay, it was that.
1: Ian Johnson, I think, was the guy who um, threw the path. A few months later, I, maybe a month later, the Hula Bowl was here. And there was all these college all-stars in town. And Chris and I did our show, I believe it was at Dave & Buster's, and a whole bunch of players were there. And the, I forget his name right now, but the quarterback from Oklahoma was there, and we asked him about that play. He said it was so crazy that on the bus ride back to the hotel, there were a few players who didn't even realize they lost, that they thought they won. Isn't that crazy? And I know it was a, fa- a famous play, and it was you know I think it was an overtime. But to not even know that your team lost on the way back to the hotel, I'm not sure how that could be possible. But apparently it did happen. That was just something that I was just thinking of as Arnold mentioned that play there. So, good stuff. A reminder for tomorrow's scrimmage is going to be uh, a full scrimmage in pads for the first time, I believe, and it's at 4:30. Of course, open to the public on campus. Speaking of UH football, it's also called the Coach with Timmy Chang coming up this Wednesday, August 17th at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moanalua Shopping Center. You can call or text in with your questions and comments to both Timmy Chang and John Veneri, who will be the host. Call the Coaches brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, and PAXA. It is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN, Honolulu Sports Animals filling in. And we hope to hear from Bobby next week and get a hopeful, positive update. And that's what I have heard this week from uh, his son, at least. So more on that next week as we hear from Bobby. Tanner Hayworth and Gary Dickman here on the morning show. And, you know, we've been talking a lot of football, Tanner. I do want to add a little basketball story, though. And this involves Bill Russell, as we heard, probably all heard yesterday, that the NBA is no longer allowing teams to issue number six. I hear somebody in the background there. <laughs> Hi, Ding. Hi, Chris. Hi, Ding. Hi Ding. Okay, well, we're going to get more on Chris's – Uh, fact, we'll, we'll, we'll save that story for just go a ahead. second. Okay. No, okay. no, go,
0: go, ahead, go ahead and start. I'm, I'm getting in here. Uh, go ahead.
2: Okay. <laughs> so the sorry. NBA
1: came out yesterday and said that no team will be allowed to get number six anymore in honor of Bill Russell and everything he stood for, of course. And anybody who wears number six, like a LeBron James, there's like about nine or ten guys, I think, that wear that number. It's going to be grandfathered in, which means if you have number six already, you can continue to wear it. That's the key in this statement. It cannot be issued again starting yesterday. Nobody can give out the number six. My take on that is that it's a good idea, great move, okay. Why do you have to wait until somebody passes away to do this? Bill Russell didn't do a lot more in the last four months or the last four days weeks to earn that—it's what he did over his entire career so if he's a deserving of this raging amazing compliment so to speak to add to his legacy why can't you do it earlier i don't like that i mean for michael jordan's number i don't believe has been in that same situation that it should are they going to wait for michael jordan to pass away and then they're going to do the same thing for him honor them while they're alive that, that was my biggest thing on that. He, he didn't just deserve it more so in the last week or two so than he should have done this years ago. Now, I know they have a trophy named after him, but oftentimes in sports... That's when the tributes are given, retiring a number or something like that. I would call Brennan's another example of that. So that's one of my takeaways. Again, it's better that it did happen. I'm glad they're doing it. I don't know why anybody could be against it, but everybody's going to have their own opinion. To me, I wish they would have done it, and I hope they will do it in any sport while the athlete is still alive. I don't know if I'm in the minority there. Tanner, your thoughts?
2: I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to – that while they're alive and all that good stuff, but I still think this is like still a good tribute to Bill Russell. I think just the whole retire the number for the entire league. I think the only other league that's done that is probably you know Jackie Robinson for the MLB, and but hockey, I really and hockey as well for Wayne Gretzky. But those are two very different situations, yes, uh, two yes. different things in a way. But I think Bill Russell is more alike to Jackie Robinson than you know to Wayne sure. Gretzky, but I think. This is, I think it's a good tribute. You can't just retire a number for every great player that's ever played. And I think the whole you wait till they're, you know, they've passed away and all that, I think it's a good tribute to the athlete. Sure, you'd like to do it while he's alive, but at the same time, I don't think Bill Russell, when he was alive, would be like, oh, well, I feel like he'd probably more likely go, well, you don't need to retire my number. I don't really care. Because that's what he was like in in Boston. He didn't want his number to be retired or have his number hung up from the rafters, just mainly because of what Boston, the people of Boston did to him, because he didn't right. want to have all that. But also at the same time, it's not going to happen when people are alive, because when you're alive, you're probably like, why are you retiring my number? I want, I want these people to use this number as long as they could, because at some point we're going to run out of numbers to use
1: could happen but the person you're honoring though should be the one receiving all the accolades for that all the all the hype and all the tributes and everything so if you want to honor the reason they're retiring bill russell's numbers because of bill russell yet he's the, really the only person involved with this basically he doesn't get to enjoy it and i mean i, I know they do it often in these kind of cases where they'll do some kind of tribute but if you're going to honor somebody do it while they're alive there's nothing not wrong like with they that haven't either
2: haven't honored him while he was alive he's i over the last you know 10 years that i remember very vividly that I've seen, you know, multiple athletes and multiple Hall of Fame speeches recognize Bill Russell. I've seen Bill Russell be recognized in NBA Finals games through the NBA Finals MVP trophy. He's there every year, so it's not to say that he hasn't been celebrated for his life. His life has been very celebrated, especially in the last couple of decades, just due to just the overwhelming growth of the game, and yeah, it would have been nice, like I said, would have been nice. But I think that he's already been so celebrated in the last couple of years of his life that this is the bow on top, that we respect him so much that no one else, at least until either LeBron or I believe a rookie is also wearing number six, until those guys decide to change their jersey number, no one else will wear number six. And I think that's seen as a, the greatest form of respect along with all of the celebrations that they've done for Bill Russell while he was alive as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, with like Kobe Bryant, the all-star game MVP is now named the Kobe Bryant winner. The name of the trophy is named the Kobe Bryant trophy, and that's great. But, again, he's being honored because he passed away, and that's unfortunate, of course. I just wish they could honor more. But you bring up great point, And somebody texted in, and thank you for the text at the Zephyr Insurance text line, better maybe put his number six in all NBA arenas. I believe they are doing that for next season, just for one year. I think they're gonna. I think they're going to wear the number six on everybody's patch, and I think they're going to have a six on the court, if I'm not mistaken. In at least for one year. Another text said, "This is Mike. I agree 100% with Tanner. Hey, Bill Russell deserves it. Gary, <laughs> you don't get it. a eulogy until you pass. I'm going Tanner or Chris texted that in. But uh, uh, thank you uh, for uh, the text. Uh, and Tanner brought up some great points as well. I'm not sure how you feel about that, Chris. But again, it's great that they're doing it. I just wish. And, and Tanner brought up the great examples of what they've done with Bill Russell the last few years. But I I'd like to see some players be honored while they're alive more so than after they pass. But better late than never, I guess.
0: I think it's okay. You know, they've honored him in the past. It's it's almost like he's been a forgotten guy because we've always, you know, this argument on on radio always like, oh, who's on your Mount Rushmore of you know basketball players? Well, there's Michael Jordan, there's Kobe Bryant, there's LeBron James. Very rarely do people say, you know, have Bill Russell. And then all of a sudden, when he passed away. It's like he's the greatest basketball player of all time, and it was kind. Of, it was kind of sad to see after he passed away, people it kind of jogged their memory. Yeah, I like the fact that baseball retired Jackie Robinson's forty-two. You remember Hawaii's Scott Carl wore forty-two, and that was grandfathered in. He got to wear that until he retired or uh, was out of the league. And um, I don't understand. I, I don't think they should have hockey should have retired Wayne Gretzky's ninety nine. Granted in your in your argument they did it while he was still alive, but they did it because he was a great player. I think you need more than greatness on the ice to have your jersey retired. I would have been fine with just major league baseball doing it. This is almost like an afterthought right with Bill Russell. Oh yeah that's right he was really good Okay, let's. Let, what can we do? What has someone else done? I like the fact that they named the MVP trophy after him. That was great. And I don't want to say, you know, who am I to say, well, that's plenty. That's enough to honor him. I, you know, I don't know. But in my mind, as just a, 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 you know, a basketball fan, it's a great way to honor him. And maybe there is something like the texter texted in. That was a, exactly what I was thinking. Maybe there's something you can have in all of the arenas maybe maybe his it's his autograph on the basketball that you're playing with right or something you know but i don't know that you know i mean there's there's like 12 players right now who wear the number 6 and it's not a really popular number so when michael jordan passes away are you going to retire 23 well basically every some somebody on every single team wears number 23 think of something else Think of something else. If you really want to honor the guy, don't just go down the line of, you know, it's like the, the oh, well, this is the easiest thing to do. Let's just honor the, why the number? You know, I don't yeah. know. S- something else. Do something else. Do something original. If he's truly that great a, great a man on the court and off the court, and I think that's mainly what we're doing is, is, is what he did off the court. Yes. Think of something else. Come on, guys. They can, you maybe a trophy or whatever else it could
1: be besides the number. You're right about that. And Again, Michael Jordan hasn't really been honored with any awards or trophies or anything, but hopefully he won't pass away for a very, very long time. But maybe then they'll do something. But, again, it's, to me, a little too little too late. Uh, but that's how we do. But that's I know. How that's we how do, it's done. Right? But honor I mean, the guy more with, so now.
0: As Americans, that's what we do. You know, we forget about him. We go on, on a business oh, he passed away. Let's all stop and remember this. I don't know. And. and I mean it's okay, but um, you know there are more. There are some great former players who wore number six. Dr. J. I did not know that Patrick Ewing wore number six.
1: Not of the Knicks. The Knicks he was thirty-three. I don't no. know if
0: he wore that in
1: uh, Seattle, maybe for the year he was there.
0: Mm. Uh, I didn't know that sh- either, actually. Yeah, but uh, uh, Don Barksdale. I d- I don't know who that is. I'm. <laughs> I just What's the, the last it. name? don barksdale i don't know who that is he's in the hall of fame for crying out loud wow but uh it currently like you mentioned lebron james wears number six christoph porzingis um some guys i've never heard of alex caruso wears number six for the Bulls now yeah wow yeah. um kenyon martin jr wears number six
1: and they'll, and they'll get to wear it, and I'm glad they grandfathered, it, and that's the smart way to do it. They've yeah. done that in any other case as well. That just, that's just common sense, I think, for that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think it was great that they did this. I just wish they could do more to honor some of these players in any sport while they're alive so they can feel it and appreciate that. So, love to hear your opinions on that. we got a lot more football talk and another recap. Not a recap, but more from Chris Hart, the auctioneer, who did a great job oh, last I night. I was here. thoroughly entertained. Yes, he was very good. All that ahead, we're going to have some talk about the Atlanta Falcons next hour as well. The Ooh. animals are here, filling in for Bobby Curran here on ESPN Honolulu. we are whole we are full we are all oh here goodness. enjoying aloha friday chris hart is with us today uh now he's back and uh, had a great time again at the pigskin pick <laughs> out last night I, i'm oh, not sweat. just saying it, I, I thought and i've seen chris mc's many events over the years. I thought he would be kind of a natural, and he was great. Uh, the other auctioneer was doing a good job as well. A lot of people Michael had a Troy. lot of fun.
0: Michael Troy was his
1: name. Okay, okay, Michael. Yeah, he did a good job as well, and there's some great, great prizes there. Uh, sporting events, a lot of wine was auctioned off, Castle Resorts, hotel packages on different islands. and Yeah, yeah it was a great night. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if they had a final tally, usually the, by the day after they'll have how much they raised, but it seemed like they probably raised a lot of money.
0: Right, and if you have like three hundred people, it it was one hundred twenty five each. So I mean, they got that's over you know thirty thousand dollars of just the uh, admission. I was uh, the pig tasted very good. Was it just me, or was the Kalua pig they had over the top excellent? It I don't was. know how. I don't know what they did to the Kalua pig, but it was unbelievable. It was tender, juicy. It was really it really a, good. It, yeah, whatever. I don't know what whatever they did to it, but it was. Uh, Hey, it was good fun and you know what that's the first time they've done the pigskin pig out in in a, a, you know since the pandemic So I think people were just uh, you know great I, I saw that um, you know Timmy Chang's staff was excellent they were, I mean it was like they were at a family party that's what you felt it like at the pigskin yeah. pig out where they come and they greet everybody they kiss all the mamas and they you know they um, shake hands with everybody there. You know, you can see a guy like Chris Brown, who's incredibly scary looking. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but he's just walking around, talking to people, meeting people. Uh, you know, Coach Timmy's, you know, gracious and taking photos with everybody. Yeah. Never seems to get tired of it. It was such a, it was such a, um, it was such an Ohana atmosphere at Murphy's. And um, I, I don't know. I was just, I was thankful to be a part of it and you know next year uh hopefully bobby curran is back and he's doing it because that's tough work i uh i uh i thought the auctioneer michael troy was uh very very uh good and uh i don't know all around great time i could i was so pumped though i couldn't i joined the show late today i couldn't get to bed till like 1 1 30 in the morning it was I crazy well, you yeah. did a great job. There's a great atmosphere Oh, there. thank you. You know, I didn't, I did, I don't know. I've never been an auctioneer before. I, I, what my problem is, you know how, like, I can't remember stuff on the show that I said two minutes <laughs> ago? It's the same thing with the auction. I'm just like, okay. Where are we at? 700, 800? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was gonna be, as the night went on, that became a reoccurring theme. Okay, the bid's at eight hundred. We need eight fifty. It's like, okay, we got eight fifty. No, that guy bid okay, winner is at eight fifty. No no, he bid eight (laughs) hundred. That only happened a few times, I think, though. I think it it really happened a lot towards the end, but thank you. (laughs) I'm not a natural when it comes to being an auctioneer. I'm just a loudmouth. Oh Uh, but it was fun, man. What a all the people that came down, everybody donated in their own way to the University of Hawaii football program. And that was the start of UH football. Now, our next deal coming up is, let's see, on the 17th, on Wednesday, we have Call the Coach with Timmy Chang. On the 20th, we have the Big Green Pep Rally happening down across from Puck's Alley. We'll give you more information on that uh, starting a little later on today or tomorrow. But UH football season is here. And we got top stories coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Aloha Friday. Top headlines today. We just talked about uh, the NBA and uh, them retiring number six for the entire league. Uh, the Deshaun Watson decision may come down today, and that may alter a lot of things for the Cleveland Browns. Especially
1: for today's game, if they rule the NFL's favor, he will not be able to play in the preseason, and we know he's already suspended either way for the first six games of the regular season.
0: And uh, it's a big weekend in high school football again here in Hawaii. They eh? had some big games last week. It gets even
1: bigger tonight. Some mainland schools coming down here. Millie Lani against Mission they uh, be- No, I'm mispronouncing it. Um, Close enough. Yes. A big school, top-ranked team in the country. There's going to be a lot of top-ranked teams going against Hawaii schools, so full slate of games this weekend.
0: And uh, season tickets for University of Hawaii football uh, go on sale, well, individual tickets go on sale Monday. Whatever is
1: left, they had sold about 8,000, more than 8,000 season tickets, and according to David Matlin, the athletic director, around 800 per game are available. Whatever is still left over, by Monday morning, we'll go on sale at the box office or eat ticket Hawaii at 9 a.m.
0: Wow, okay, so you, if you, wow, that's, you know, a lot of people have dropped their season tickets. You know, it's like, oh, they did the, I got offended by something, and I'm a, I'm a 30-year season ticket holder, I don't think I'm buying anymore. So those guys got to get back into the pool. Yeah. And and these are individual tickets. So if they wanted to, maybe they bought season tickets already. But at the same time, maybe you're like, "I, I can't go to all of these games. But if you can go, I can only go to three games. Well, here's your chance. And
1: I think, I mean, it's obvious that they'll sell out for the Vanderbilt game, hopefully for every game. I I can't imagine they would get less than 9,000 now that everything's opened up again. And I have a feeling it's going to be a very uh, hot ticket. A lot of people are going to be hoping to get
0: some. So get yours while you can because they're not going to last. Okay. The um, college football season is upon us, right? We've got uh, the games coming up. uh, On Gosh, we are two weeks and one day away. Right. And uh, from University of Hawaii, from we- what they call Week Zero. But all re- there's a lot of coaches in college football who are on the hot seat. I don't know if you saw that. There's a long, long article at ESPN.com. But one that comes to mind, and obviously, and it's so sad, this is a sad situation, is Scott Frost at Nebraska.
1: He's going to be in mean, the hottest seat there is.
0: Oh, my gosh. They, I mean, they haven't. Five straight seasons now, uh, including the last four under Scott Frost, Nebraska hasn't made it to a bowl game. It's almost hard not to make it to a bowl game. It's one thing when
1: they're going for the uh, BCS championship and have won a few in the 90s. You know, it's understandable that they're not going to go that far and be a top-ten team, but to not even make it to a bowl game, I'm surprised he's still the coach. And I know he played there, and they love him there. This has mm-hmm. got to be his last chance. If they don't, And even yeah. going to a bowl game shouldn't be their major goal. But they're not going to contend for a Big Ten championship. They've got to go to a bowl game minimum for him to keep his job. And even with that, I think it's gonna to be tough. He just hasn't done a great job there. I mean it worked out great at UCF yeah. for a year or two because Mackenzie Milton. Not uh-huh. as well in Nebraska for Scott Frost, not at
0: all. Th- and here this is all bocce. This is all bocce <laughs> because they had Bo Pellini and he, uh, he he never he never won fewer than nine games. Seven years there. He always was nine wins or better, and that wasn't good enough. And they fired him. And they've sucked ever since.
1: Frank Solich as well. He had a couple of nine-win seasons, and he was like, I think he's at Ohio now, or was that Ohio after he left Nebraska? Yeah, they have high mm. standards there. And under Tom Osborne, they were about the best of the best almost every year. They were like a Georgia. If they're not playing for a championship, they're in the mix, and that was the case in the '90s and maybe early 2000s. But nowhere since then have they been on that level at all. And it's really yeah. something. And they still sell out. You got to give the fans credit. They still <laughs> sell out every game, which is great. But they're starving for a bowl game at minimum, and maybe to be uh competing for their division in the big ten at least
0: I feel sorry for the fans because they're used to you know being at the in, you know the upper echelon of college football and they're in the bottom 10 they're like bottom ten. and it was it really when they moved to the big Ten is that when this happened or? pretty
1: much pretty much I mean they, they haven't had success in the big Ten since they joined no not at all they've been better than Rutgers that's not saying much but they're <laughs> not better than like say I mean an Iowa Or a lot of other schools who are maybe in the top
0: fivers. I Ohio State, Big Twelve, Big Twelve. Sorry,
1: they they just not have been to the top. Even they have their easier division. They're not with Ohio State or Michigan. They're on the other side, and you would think they'd have a good opportunity, but they just have not. They haven't kept a lot of the homegrown talent home. That's part of
0: the problem, and the coaching is not Tom Osborne, no matter who's been there. Yeah, here's a quote. It says, "It looked like the same movie after losing to Illinois in the last season's opener." Horrific special teams, a passion for turning the ball over, and an uncanny ability to lose close games have played on a loop. No matter who the coach is, Scott Frost or before that, it's the same thing year after year after year. It's, I, I don't know how you turn something like that around.
1: Yeah, Mike Riley I think was the coach before Scott Frost uh, they, like you mentioned Bo Pellini as well and that Illinois game I, I think they were leading that game until the last three or four minutes and just blew it and they've had problems with clock management, time management and just turnovers yeah. as you mentioned as well. It's really it's bad because they, they, they weren't power and it's one thing to be off for a couple of years like a Florida State has been lately but this has been like over 10 years. You mentioned seven years without a bowl game they haven't been the same at least in the last 10 or more years. So that's pretty sad for them and hopefully they can turn it around, but I don't really have a lot of confidence in them.
0: The uh Brian Harson Brian Harson has been at Auburn what? 1 year? 2 the years? One one year. I, I I'm trying to remember if it's one or two. I think okay. it's two. Oh, it's only one. Okay, thanks Tanner. So he's been there one year. And Brian Harson is the former uh coach at Boise State. And they go 6 and 7 last year um and some of these guys if they get fired because they got now with all these tv contracts right and all this money and i think this was the this was the um the the point of the article is how much you got to pay some of these coaches to buy them out right it's likely if they have another six and seven year not much better they're gonna fire him after two years only. Remember, because in Auburn, I mean, it's tough. You're in the in the shadow of Nick Saban in Alabama, right? But when in Auburn, they have enough rich boosters and enough tradition to stop the bleeding as quickly as possible. If they fire Brian Harman Har, uh, Harson, if they fire Harson after this year, if they fire Brian Harson after this year, they have to pay him fifteen million dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Almost like that's not a lot for them, but you're right yeah. about the money that they have. And,
0: and, the, and they, well, I'm sorry, and they got to pay him half of that within 30 days. <laughs>
1: well, I'm sure they have it in their checking or bank account. Right. And there's a lot of pressure on it. Again, 6-7 and seven is not awful, but they're, they're used to being competing with Alabama, as you mentioned. They're not supposed to be a team that just goes to a bowl game. And they've been near the top. They've been giving Alabama tough times maybe until recent years. And I can understand there's a lot of pressure on right. him. But I don't think it's, lo- it's a long enough time period to get your own players that you recruit to actually start because it'll only be year two and your recruits will probably start playing in year two, but more so in year three and four when you can see your players.
0: Right. Play. And you, you don't want to get in a cycle. And, and that's, a, that's, no. a, that's a program killer. When you get in a cycle of every couple of years hiring a brand new coach, and that's that, that kind of what Nebraska maybe has fallen into. I mean, Probably the University targeted. of Hawaii, when you go, you have Norm Chow, then Nick Rolovich, and then you had uh, Todd Graham, and now you're going with Timmy Chang. You know, uh, Rolovich left because of success. Todd Graham left because of all that. Norm Chow was gone because he wasn't a very good head coach. But I mean, we've had a lot of head coaches recently at the University of Hawaii, so it's tough to kind of build that back up. You, I mean with any kind of consistency.
1: There're probably some players on the team who have now with their third head coach. Because Grant Todd Graham was just here 2 years. There are probably some, there are some players who are held over from the Rolovich years and still on the team. Probably not a lot, but that's got to wow. be tough to go through three head coaches. Todd Graham's only been here two years? He was only there two years, so there are there are some players, especially with wow. the COVID year that you get back. Yeah, there's several players that are going through their third head coach. Yeah, you, you, you're setting yourself up to rebuild and reload, but if you do it every four or five years, you're go- going back to scratch, basically, and starting, mm-hmm. and that's got to be tough for any program to get immediate success when you keep doing that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Arizona State, that program's been a uh, – Herm Edwards. It, my, I didn't know, and I found out last night, I, I, uh, Mike Cavanaugh, is it Arizona State? Yeah,
1: I have mentioned it a few times. He was there at Nebraska for a while when Mike Riley got fired, I guess. That's when oh, Mike Cavanaugh no. went to Arizona State. So he's been there, I think, four years now, I
0: believe. The um, there's a lot there's a there's an NC is the, the NCAA investigation is going on, and Herm Edwards You play to win the game. Hello and, Yeah, hello. <laughs> but the guy's been breaking NCAA rules since he got there. Zach Hill was
1: responsible for a lot of that. Who was the OC for? I don't know how long, but he he had to quit before he got fired. I guess I think he was involved in a lot of the recruiting violations that they got involved with at Arizona State.
0: But and that was the former. That was the guy that was the offensive coordinator for Hawaii for about a week and a half, From January to February. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 word is that a lot of these assistant coaches who refuse to cheat they got fired. So now those coaches are helping the investigation against Herm Edwards. This I, I, is w- what a mess.
1: And talk about guy's getting a job for a reason. I mean he he's a good coach in the NFL, never coached college. The reason the main reason he got the job, not only being a good coach, I guess, but the athletic director at Arizona State was his former agent. So right. there's a big connection there.
0: In this uh, the writer writes the cartoonish way that Ray Anderson, he was the AD, hmm. the cartoonish way that Ray Anderson attempted to spin the hire of uh, Edwards uh, was uh, it, 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 they claimed that they have a vision unveiled with uh, all these ideas of how to make this football program great. Well, it went hilariously wrong.
1: Sometimes we talk about college coaches that go to the NFL or NBA and they're not suited for the pros, they're better for college. This is a case of the reverse. Herm Edwards, again, was a pretty decent uh, NFL coach. Going to college, it just hasn't worked out. And I don't, I don't think they're bottom 10 material, but they haven't had success. I think they're basically around a 500 team since he's been there or close to that.
0: Actually, yeah, well, they're 25 wins and 18 losses. Oh. But it's still, I thought that he, when he first got there, he was like a great recruiter. But apparently not. That's one of the knocks against him is it's like they've got the Pac-12's worst re- recruiting class again. Nobody wants to go to
1: Arizona State. That's surprising in a way. I mean, the weather is great. I don't know if that matters a lot. They're, I mean, they, 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 they're good school. They're not a bottom feeder like Oregon State has been for a number of years. And Herman Edwards, I thought, would have a little bit more success with some of the recruits just based on his career and his history maybe not on the college level as it
0: showed they're not getting the top recruits at all all right coaches on the hot seat in the mountain west conference new mexico are you surprised
1: it's gonna be year two i guess for the new coach cause, i mean um, um no actually this will be year three.
0: Oh, three. okay i guess he's he's five wins and 14 losses That's not a lot of – That's yeah. Anyway, maybe you started halfway through or something. They COVID year, they didn't have a full season, I think. Yeah, Danny Gonzalez is the coach. But whoever's at New Mexico, they seem to be on the hot seat. It's like just – you're not going to win no matter who you get. Just keep the guy you got instead of, you know, getting rid of him or, or buying him off. Yeah, that
1: New Mexico, New Mexico State. They just really haven't been good in football in so long. I know New Mexico had a good year about seven years ago with Bob Davey. They beat Boise State. But, yeah, their their history over the last, again, decade or two has not been good. I don't know if they're ever going to turn that around.
0: And I don't know if he's going to be on the hot seat, but he's just somebody that they say to keep an eye on. How about UNLV again? Yeah, we, we had
1: Jeremy Mouse on a few weeks ago for the Mountain West Wire, and he kind of didn't say that Mark uh, Arroyo is on the hot seat, so to speak, but they just haven't gotten better. Where some people thought they got good transfers, he got some guys from Oregon to come over, some of Power 5 schools. Still, they are that bad of a team, and they pay him a lot of money, so I guess I wouldn't be surprised. because If it's three years and you're last in the conference basically every year, even though they tied with Hawaii last year, I can understand. Like you said, it, 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 some schools don't want to wait. They're, they're not patient anymore. But it does cost a lot of money in some of these cases. I guess some people don't care, or it's not that big of a deal where they're given
0: $15 million. Yeah, I mean, he's he's only won two games. He's two wins and 16 losses. Wow. But especially at places like UNL, I mean, they did better with the high school coach. I can't remember his name. I like that guy. San- Sanche- Sanchez. Sanchez? Tony Sanchez? Or uh, Tony like Sanchez, that? yeah. But I, anyway, yeah. But so you're, you're two and sixteen. Places like New Mexico and UNLV, I don't know if these guys are actually on the hot seat, but usually they are. I'm just saying that these guys, you know what, stick with your coach a little while. Give the guy a chance. Because what are you gonna do? You're gonna go you're gonna fire him? You're gonna fire Marcus Arroyo, have to pay him off a couple of million dollars, and then start brand new. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to catch a lightning in a bottle. Just stick with the same guy; you'll get the same results, and you'll save money.
1: Right. By the way, Tony Sanchez is now the wide receivers coach at New Mexico State, and he was there last year after leaving UNLV. I, um, I agree with you. I, I get it. doesn't seem like schools. Maybe the NFL is a little different, but they don't have a lot of patience. But you're never going to have immediate success when you keep starting over. You can't do that all the time. But I guess they feel desperate. And if you're only going to win two games and lose 16, that's a little bit more understandable. But still, you got to have your own players. It's not in the first year or two. I, to me, you shouldn't be judged as critically Based on not having all of your recruits on the field, I think that makes yeah. a difference.
0: Right, and especially you're playing in that new stadium and everything. But anyway, yeah. you know what? We got to we got to get a traffic update, and then we have a guest, uh, D. Orlando Ledbetter, uh, talk some Marcus Mariota and Falcons football from the Atlanta Constitution Journal. He's coming up next, and then I want to get into there's unfortunately, coaches with Hawaii ties on the hot seat headed into the season. All coming up with the animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Feels like the weekend started already. (laughs) Hey, it's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. And we've been talking a lot of NFL.
1: We're going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons now as Marcus Mariota, listed as their starting quarterback, and they've got a preseason game tonight. Joining us from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he's the Atlanta Falcons beat writer here on ESPN, Honolulu, D. Orlando Ledbetter. Thank you so much for joining us. It's kind of a, a coincidence because we arranged to have you on the show a couple of days ago, and yesterday in our local newspaper, your article about Marcus Mariota was on the front page, so we'll start with that. What are your thoughts about how he has looked early on in camp with Atlanta?
4: Yeah, he has looked great moving the ball around. They uh, definitely have tailored the offense to fit his skill set. And there's a lot of optimism around whether he can revive his career with the Atlanta Falcons. He's looked great throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts and getting the rookie Drake London involved. So now uh, everybody's excited to see what he can do in his first start since the 2019 season.
0: Oh, that's great news!
1: One of the things we know about Marcus from watching him in high school and at Oregon, even with his other NFL teams, is that he's such a good leader. And I've been reading that about him just this week that he is really showing showing his leadership skills and quality. What have you noticed about him being a leader and even a mentor to guys like Desmond Ritter?
4: Yeah, no doubt he's been uh, he's been a, 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 a arm, been a teacher, been somebody for Ritter to lean on. But also, he leads in his own way, you know, and that's uh, what Arthur Smith knows about him from their time together in Tennessee and has allowed him to to do it the way he wants to do it. And um, they have been uh, very respectful of the work that he's doing with Desmond Ritter and with uh, galvanizing the team and the offense.
1: Do we know how how many snaps or will play a quarter or not for Marcus tonight against
4: Detroit? Do we know that? Yeah, I know uh, 10 to 15 is what we're projecting. And Coach uh, Dan Campbell said he wanted to play stories for a quarter. A quarter, So we think that's about what Arthur uh, Smith is going to play the Falcons for. You
1: know, they were in the Super Bowl not that long ago, losing that exciting, dramatic game against New England in overtime. What are the main reasons for Atlanta struggling so much the last few years? I know they have a new quarterback. Matt Ryan is now gone, but why have they had the lack of success that they wanted at least these last couple of years?
4: Well, it was injuries and failures in the draft. Once you pay your superstars a lot of money, you have to hit in the draft. And if you go back to the 17, 18, and 19 draft. You see where they had major misses in the uh, second, third, and uh, fourth rounds. A lot of their best players were Russell Gage and Foyer Hulakon, which were six-round picks. So the drafting was poor, and players got hurt, and, uh, you know, that was a bad combination for the Atlanta Falcons. Their offensive line
1: has, I know, three open spots right now. Is that unusual? I know they're still early in camp, basically, but that seems to be a concern. Of course, that will hopefully lead to more success for Marcus if they have a good old line. But are there three spots open as far as the starters right now?
4: Yeah, no question about it. One seems to be, um, you know, Caleb McGarry, he seems to be retaining his spot. He'll probably have a new center and a new left guard. It was a line that gave up 40 sacks last year and was 31st in the league in run blocking. Uh, So, yeah, change up front should bode well for Marcus and his uh, return to the starting lineup. Talking Falcon football with D. Orlando Ledbetter
0: on ESPN Honolulu.
1: Looks like Kyle Pitts is going to be their main receiver. You know he comes in, I guess, technically as a tight end. Is he going to be the number one guy all season? Do you think he's going to get even more targets than last year?
4: Yes, no question about it. He's the superior athlete on that side of the ball. Uh, And the only thing that would deter that is if they're able to, you know, teams take him away, if they're able to take him away with double teams and so forth. But even given that, you know, they've devised schemes to get him open, to move him around, to attack defenses from different angles. And he did a good job last year as a rookie. And now that he knows uh, a little bit more about what he's doing and how to attack and how to run and set up his route, he still should be open. And even if he's not open, you probably want to throw him the ball anyway. It uh, might might be
1: too soon to know now, but Calvin Ridley serving the one-year suspension, is he going to be back with the team and everything will be fine next year?
4: No, I think they're going to trade him. They were trying to trade him this year. They didn't like um, you know, when he left the team. Uh, for mental health reasons, you know, they, they, you know he, they wanted him to get well, but at that point they couldn't count on him. And then the gambling situation came up when they were in trade talks with the Eagles and they had to pull out of those trade talks because of his situation. So if he makes it back and gets cleared, uh, he won't be Atlanta Falcon for long. We talked about the offense with you. What do you think about the defense
1: right now? What are the main concerns there?
4: Yeah, they look good in practice. You know, the main concerns there is they didn't stop the run last year. They were 27th against the run. Uh, Linebackers are being changed. And they didn't rest the passer. They were last in sacks with 18. So, um, you know, they got to rebuild that whole thing out. You got Grady Jarrett up front. Uh, You got A.J. Terrell at one of the cornerbacks. And, uh, you know, they got a lot of new guys coming in to win some of those other positions to turn that into a, a much better defense. Was Drake London the right player to
1: draft at number eight overall? You think maybe they should have gone defense, in hindsight at least?
4: Well, you going to go receiver. He was rated third behind Jameson and uh, the uh, Alabama receiver and the Ohio State receiver, but they wanted a bigger receiver, and he was faster on their clock than everybody else had him. So, uh, you know, they could have gone line there across Charles Cross from Mississippi State was there. That would have helped your line right away. Uh, so, you know, they passed on linemen in the last two years, passing on Panay and then Charles Cross this year. That's where a lot of the football people were thinking they were going to go. And they took the receiver that was rated third by everybody else. So, yeah, there's some uh, questions about who they drafted this year. Along with last year when they took pitch, But Pitts looking like a player, but you still have blocking and tackling and pass rush problems. Desmond Ritter had a great year
1: at Cincinnati last year, and he's going to be the backup to Marcus as of right now. Do they look at him as being the future? And what I mean by that, could that be next year? Do you think it's still be to be determined about Marcus's future there with the two-year deal with Atlanta?
4: Yeah, I think they, they want to see if Desmond can do it. He, You know, he was 44-5 and five over his career at Cincinnati. At some point, they're getting him ready to play just in case something happens with Marcus. And uh, at some point, they're going to have to find out if he's the future or not. You know, they've had some uh, quarterbacks drafted in the third and fourth rounds, and Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, uh, and, and, you know, they don't know if this kid's that good or not, but they're going to try to see and they're trying to develop him, and they're committed to developing him whether he's going to be a backup or starter long-term. There's a lot more
1: Atlanta Falcons fans here just because of Marcus Mariota being on the team, and I'm sure a lot of people will be following the Falcons, hoping to have a lot of success. Orlando, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we can keep in touch and have you on again from time to
4: time. Sure, no problem. Call any time, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, All right. Thank you for joining us. All right. That's D Orlando Ledbetter,
0: Atlanta Constitution Journal. And uh, shout-out to my son-in-law, Stephen Nagamine. He loves the Falcons. Poor guy. all right and uh you know it's sad but is marcus Mariota a placeholder
1: that's what i was going to almost phrase it as i don't like to say it that way but you wonder i guess it'll be determined depending on how he does this year hopefully he can be there long term and let desmond sit for a few years
0: yeah or you know it really depends on how um ledbetter is marcus has just gotta stay healthy and you know this time around he's so much more mature I think he's, you probably learn a lot by sitting and watching, right, is what he did the last, was it two years he's been with the Raiders? Yes,
1: two years, yes.
0: So you're doing a lot of sitting and watching, and I think that, um, I don't know, I don't think he's going to make those same mistakes he made at Tennessee. It, it just, the last couple of years just finished with a lot of bad decision-making and throwing a lot of interceptions. I guess the, not the hard part, but it
1: is that he, has not, he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. Again, Kyle Pitts is good as advertised so far, but you don't have a Julio Jones. You don't have a Calvin Ridley. You got Drake London coming in. You don't have a very good offensive line. He talked about some of the numbers there uh, with their running attack, and they, they don't have a lot of weapons there. So hopefully Marcus yeah. will be one of the guys to help turn them in the direction they were
0: five, six years ago when they were a Super Bowl team. All right, coming up, we were talking about some uh, college coaches on the hot seat. Got a couple with uh, Hawaii ties, which, you know, kind of sucks. But we'll do that coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu. Time for our Hawaii USA uh, bulletin board. Hey, the Blood Bank of Hawaii needs 200 donations every day. If you can help on Oahu, make an appointment to donate at the Waikale Center, Kapolei Commons, Windward Mall, on Young Street or Dillingham Boulevard. Just go to BBH.org to schedule your donation. Once again, this message brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. Happy National Middle Child Day. We celebrate all the middle children. What are you? I'm the third of four, so I guess I'm kind of in the middle, right? Uh, You're one of the middles. You just have two middle. I'm a middle child. Tanner, are you? Tanner's the youngest.
2: I'm a youngest of four.
0: Yeah, he's the youngest of four. So after three, or really after about two, you know, the parents just give up on you. They're like, (laughs) ah, whatever, do whatever you want. You know, here's a bunch of candy. Sit in front of the TV. (laughs) Leave me alone. That's what happens to the youngest kids. That's what I wish happened to
1: me. Bunch of candy and watch TV. That's a perfect day. It was a great life. Still
0: is. Psychologists have determined that there are middle child traits. If you're a middle child, you tend to be more independent and self-motivated, more successful. In fact, more than half of the U.S. presidents have been middle children. And you are better under pressure. Middle children... Tend to be artistic and creative. Huh? Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> hey, we were talking about coaches on the hot seat and uh, as we enter college football. And Dino Babers is one of them, which yeah. is unfortunate. You know, Syracuse, they've had five, I guess he's had hes three consecutive losing seasons, five losing seasons in six years. One bowl. It was, game. A, was it that first year or second year, whatever it was, where they were, were really good? And he was like, they were talking about Dino Babers for other jobs. Yeah. It was year now, two, I believe. They, they almost beat Clemson yeah. one year. I think twice
1: they took them to the last minute or overtime. They played really well against Clemson. The last two years, though, they've been a bottom feeder. They haven't really had no success and just losing, I mean, not even
0: close to a bowl game. Well, in ACC play, they're 5-21 and the past three years. Um, I, I'm guessing that they, they say if, if Syracuse has another losing season, then Dino Babers is gone. So unfortunate because no matter who you bring in there, they're going to lose. Well, I
1: guess what they would hope is that you can maybe get a different voice. I, I don't like that sometimes. You need hear a different voice in the locker room. You hear that more in the pro level. But maybe bring in better recruits and Again, he had early success, but it's also, a, I mean, even though the ACC is not a great conference, there's still like always three or four teams that are going to be ahead of Syracuse and Boston College and Wake Forest or some of the other ones almost every year.
0: Yeah, he's 29 wins, 43 losses overall. By the way, Robert Ane, uh, they just hired as a new offensive coordinator. That's, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, good. Yeah, so, so um, you know, so maybe, maybe Robert Ane, they got a new quarterbacks coach in there. Maybe they can kind of set things in a different direction. But uh, let's root for Syracuse football this year.
1: Definitely. I hope he can keep that job. He's done good things before.
0: Did a great job at Eastern Illinois before that as well.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: And another name that I never thought I would I, I would say, this person's name and hot seat. And it might, it might may or may not be Kenny Neomatololo.
4: That last year at the
0: Yeah, possible. Now, I mean, his he's one oh five and seventy five. It's his fifteenth season coming up? But they've had three losing seasons in the past four years. I I. It was weird. They he fired, uh, O.C. Ivan Jasper, and then unfired him. Right. It's it's weird. Um. Now, Navy has beaten Army two of the past three years, and that's uh, of course a really big deal, right? It is. It is. Um, Let's see, they've, um, they close the season, this upcoming season, at Cincinnati, Notre Dame, at UCF, and then they play Army. UCF might
1: be a little down, but that's really tough.
0: Yeah, but it's like they're they're at, um, if they buy them out, it wouldn't be a huge buyout for whatever reason. Maybe it has something to do with the federal government. And, um, I don't know, they're saying maybe he could retire or it's whatever. What he told
1: us a few years ago, like, when his contract is up, he plans on retiring and moving back here. I don't know how right, many more years he has. But
0: his wife wouldn't let him. Oh, that's right. That's right. He said his wife, he wanted to, but his wife won't let him, so uh, he is there. But uh, if he retires, I mean, he'll be the winningest coach in the history of Navy football, right?
1: That's, I would imagine that says a lot. That says a lot. I mean, the last two years have been really tough there. Uh, But before that, I think he had some really good success. I think they were ranked a few times three, four, five years ago and very uh, competitive against everybody they were playing. So it's too bad. But the last year I know was really ugly for them.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Anyway, good luck to uh, Kenny Neomatololo. If he does retire, he said he's coming to Hawaii. Right, right. So he can come to Hawaii. and What did he say? He wanted to be the guy to sweep up the weight room or something like that? Something like that, yeah, something easy. Yeah, so to he, speak. <laughs> hey, you uh, he can help out with Coach Cody. Coach Cody and him can uh, help out with the kids. We'd love to have Kenny Neomatololo here, and I mean, his kids have really just only been tourists. You know, they're born and y- raised yeah. on the mainland. Really, I think. But, That's uh, right. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's think good thoughts and root for Syracuse and Navy this year, and uh, you know, hopefully these guys have good seasons. It's a uh, quarter to nine here on ESPN Honolulu. And uh, Kavika Hallams uh, told us, uh, he instructed us, not at gunpoint, but he instructed us (laughs) to uh, to, uh, hype up the Putahome-Wanalua game. (laughs) That's a good game, actually. Hey, there's some good games this weekend. We'll get into that coming up next year on ESPN Honolulu. We'll see what we got with uh, high school football coming up this weekend here. This is ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Campbell, uh, Campbell, who's scoring live rates as the number five team in the state. Campbell is uh, going to be playing for the first time uh, against visiting Kailua.
1: And, yeah, Campbell had a good year last year. They got a uh, quarterback from St. Louis via the transfer portal, and a lot of good things expected from them. I know they've had a tough time in the open division getting over some of the top teams like Kahuku and St. Louis, but they're still a good team. They uh, usually have a really good offensive late, too.
0: Yeah. Mililani is going to be, uh, play host to Mission Viejo. And uh, is, that a, is that a powerhouse school, Mission Viejo?
1: Yes, they are, and we saw what Mililani did last week to St. Louis. This will be another good test for them, and they got a very tough schedule early on, that's for sure.
0: Wow, Uh, and then we said uh, Kavika texted us about uh, Punahou and Moanalua. We'll get to see Punahou play for the first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were really good last year. We know Kamehameha had a really good start to the season. St. Louis came out of the ILH in the open division. But uh, Punahou is always there. They've got some good offensive players. And it seems like they turn out a lot of D1 players, especially at the defensive side, but some offensive players going to you know, further their career. So they're always a
0: strong team. Yeah, Here's one that I'm looking at with particular interest. Kapolei Farrington, huh? Couple, couple maybe evenly matched teams.
1: Farrington gets their first win in over two years. They were winless last year, and they win last week, and we'll see if that will continue for them. Now, they had Wailua last week. It will be a lot tougher with Kailua this
0: weekend, though. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we'll have uh, we'll have our slate of high school football games coming up on the radio very shortly here on ESPN Honolulu and our sister station, CBS fifteen
1: hundred. Hey, I wanted to bring this up, Chris, if this is okay, a little bit about baseball. I'm not sure if everybody heard about it, and I never heard this term before until three days ago, the home run cycle. Now, everybody knows what a cycle is in baseball. you got to get a single, double, triple, and home run. Still pretty rare. I don't know how many times it's happened, but it's not a lot. But they have a thing that I've never heard of again until recently called the home run cycle, which is, as you can imagine, a solo homer, two-run homer, three-run homer, and a grand slam in the same game. Now, this was for, I think it was AAA for the St. Louis Cardinals. Chandler Redmond did this a few nights ago. I mean, it's hard. I mean, the, the list of players that have hit four home runs in one game is not a long list as well at all either to do it and hitting for a home run cycle and one of the amazing thing was people were talking about it. it is the first time this has happened in 25 years the fact that it happened at all and at this kind of recent actually but this has only been done twice in history that you would have those kind of, first of all, again, hitting one homer a game is pretty hard, two or three difficult, and to be up in a position where you're able to hit with those areas. The, the player, Chandler Redmond, was on radio yesterday, and he was saying that it was he got lucky. One of his last at-bats, there was like two runners on, and it wouldn't have been for the cycle, but the guy got caught stealing for third base, so then he was able to hit a two-run homer to get the cycle. Uh, Cooperstown's already asked for his bat, So, I mean, he says, I can't believe I'm in the Hall of Fame. Now, again, he's only in the minor league, but that is an incredible accomplishment. And I think a lot of people who follow baseball never heard that term before, the home run cycle, and the fact that it's only been done twice ever, never on the major league level. It's crazy. Every time something new like this comes up, I'm more and more amazed. You think you've seen every kind of circumstance in any sporting event happen. But every now and then something like this comes up, and you're more amazed. And, again, it's – very rare accomplishment. That's going to be a tough one to ever achieve for anybody. Just to be up at the plate for those opportunities when those runners are on base to have that is incredible. I mean, Josh Rojas for the Arizona Diamondbacks, former Hawaii third baseman, he had three homers in a game this year. I think incre- that's a short list. Yeah. But to do it for four in a game, again, very, very rare. And to have it for the home run cycle, that is amazing. He also mentioned that in his last home run, he's at the plate, and the first two pitches were curveballs. And he's kind of saying to himself, I know it's going to be a fastball. And the catcher says to him, this was with, with uh, 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 Freddie and Fitz, Fitz, Fitzsimmons last night on their show, uh-huh. saying that the catcher said, okay, here we go. You know what's coming. And he hits a home run. It's almost like the catcher let him know what was happening. That is just crazy. I mean, that's. Just, I wish it had happened in the major league level. It would have gotten a lot more publicity. It shouldn't really get any less publicity because it was in the minor league. Still, that was something to behold, and uh, at least we can say we heard about something for the first time because that doesn't it's happen good. too often like that. But what an accomplishment for a guy named Chandler Redmond. Let's see if he makes the major league someday for St. Louis. That's what I wonder about with guys with something really great in their careers early on if they'll be able to make it to the pro level or the major league baseball level.
0: It's like, uh, uh, what do call It's like the red flag warning. I've never <laughs> heard of that before. We've, yeah, learned yeah, me no so, we've learned so much in the last couple of weeks on this radio show. All right. Uh, don't forget, coming up Monday, individual tickets are on sale for University of Hawaii football, e-ticket Hawaii, Stan Sheriff Center box office, probably only 800 per game left. So a lot of folks can't go to every game, or don't want to go to every game, or whatever reason. Well, now's your chance for individual tickets, and uh, I imagine even if those don't sell out, the walk-up before every game they will. So congratulations, UH uh, football fans, you did it—you sold out uh, TC Ching Complex. Good job on you, but there are still some left. There are a few left. I hate to see what the what the secondary market. Artie Wilson. Artie, the one-man party, coming up next on ESPN Honolulu.